everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel Mailbag. This is the time where we sit down with your letters, your missives, your heartfelt throbbing heartthrob letters. What a, that got away from me. <laughs> and we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna talk definitely about heart at least involved. Yes, somehow. yes, somewhere. Um, it's been a while since we've done one of these. And every time we do one, we're like, we're gonna do these more. But I have a plan, Mike. Because we are liars. Yeah, yeah, we have been liars in the past. Um, so listeners should know that I am a pedantic son of a gun. And um, I have been working very hard and making Mike work really hard to get to our lead time to a certain magic number. And once we got to that magic number of how many episodes we had in the can, which was 13, by the way, uh, we're going to be able to record more slowly now. You'll still get all the episodes, but now we can take an extra time and turn it over to mailbag episodes. Oh, so from here on out, we release every day until we catch up? Or? Yeah, that's it. We'll just release we'll just do a podcast every day. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, we we'll, like we'll be able to get mailbags recorded, and although we're going to record them in, in rapid order, we're going to space them out for you, the listener. But Wibbly, yeah. wobbly, timey, wimey. Podcasty, wadcasty. Podcasty, wadcasty. <laughs> Why didn't we call this show Podcasty, wadcasty? Oh, <laughs> I have so many regrets. Last episode, we actually recorded a good half month worth of letters that didn't get recorded. So some of these that we're going to be reading here at the beginning, we've actually read before. So we don't mean to sound like we've heard them before, but some of these we've heard before. Oh, but uh, I have a horrible memory, so there's no worry there. Right. It's been a while. It has yeah. definitely been time. So here it is. But, yeah, oh, we're going to be like, John Morrissey, didn't you already ask this? God, stop asking it again. Right. Oh, wait. wait, we already. Yeah, never mind. Speaking of, he's our first name on the list today. Yes, he is. Who wants to go first? Um, I can go first. Go first, then. That's easier. John Morrissey, Make Ours Marvel, Transforming the Collector. Hey, guys. Hey, John. Although many Marvel characters evolve after they are first introduced, as their backstory is revealed and their personality and motivations becoming stabilized, I wonder if any character has changed more than the Collector. After his first appearance in Avengers 28, in this issue, he seems to be an aging human archaeologist who is passionately collecting the trinkets and weapons produced by a variety of human cultures over the years. Yet no indication that he's alien, no indication that he's like God level powers, but yeah. Totally. Uh, he says there's no indication he's immortal. There's no indication that any of his collectibles is of extraterrestrial origin. And there's no indication that he is an elder of the universe who wields the power primordial. So John was just saying what I said. I just didn't read far enough. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think he's wrote this before. It sounds really familiar. What do you guys think? Is there any other character who has changed this much after their first appearance? Perhaps the Tinkerer, who was supposed to be an alien in his first appearance? I still vote for the Collector because his character was developed much more than that of the Tinkerer was in his brief first appearance. I look forward to hearing your thoughts, John. What do you think? Evolved characters. Well, that we've covered, I would probably agree, yeah. I think maybe the two he's mentioned are probably the most not what I think of. Uh, I can't think of any others that are so uh, I don't know, far I don't know. of left field or whatever their expression is. The Beatles' look and stuff has changed. He's not even the yeah, Beatle anymore. Yeah. He was Mach, Mach 1 or whatever for a while. We've definitely had upgrades in costumes, like Pace Pot beat with his bucket, but he was always you know, a criminal who glues things, and he still is. He just looks mm-hmm. cooler now. Um, yeah, there was like zero indication. Like, I think 
the elder, an elder of the universe is actually like an important cog somehow. I don't really know how, but one of those like those galactic cosmic board meeting kind of guys who show up when it's really important. And so like in this first story, he had none of that going on. So between him and the tinkerer being an alien, and I still can't figure that one out and it hasn't been explained yet. Yeah. Those are like the two that are kind of weird. Black Widows definitely goes through a lot. She's pretty unidentified, unrecognizable right now. Uh, yeah, that's true. She is way cooler later, but she is still like a female Russian spy, at least. I don't know. Yeah. And speaking of Russian, Craven and the Chameleon both turn out to be Russian. And, and brothers. brothers. Yeah, that's different. Yeah. But yeah, uh, those are those are the big ones. Yeah. At least that we've covered. Maybe so, in like the history of comic books, I don't know. Maybe there's like DC or some other character that like started out really different than they ended up. Superman, maybe. Certainly has gone through a lot of changes. I mean, he's still recognizably Superman for all mm-hmm. of his 85 years. But mm-hmm. um, I think the kinds of stories that get told about him certainly have shifted a lot. I think if but you're yeah. like, if you're into like a certain kind of Superman or an idea of like new Superman or even the last 20 years Superman, if you read Action Comics number one or two, you'd probably be like, huh, this guy's aggressive. Or, or if you read some of the uh, sitcom Superman of the Silver Age. Right. So I guess he's just up to interpretation, but a lot of DC things are, I guess. They really are. But yeah, thanks for writing, John. Um, okay, what do we got next? Scott McFadden? Mostly Fantastic Four Thoughts. Mostly Fantastic Four Thoughts. Well, those are good. That's the best, right? Greatest mm-hmm. comic magazine in the world or whatever right now. Um, hi, guys. Just wanted to drop you another quick note. This will cover a few of the most recent podcasts since I haven't written in a while. Hope you don't mind. Even if you do, I'm going to do it anyway. It works for us because we haven't read them in a while. Right. Reading the reading the Galactus Trilogy has been a revelation to me. I have never actually realized how short it was. I first read it in one of the big treasury editions, remember those, which cut out the inhuman stuff at the beginning of number 48, and all the Johnny goes to college, Reed is mean to Sue, Ben wanders the street stuff at the end of 50. It made for a tighter read, and I never realized how much material had been left out. That technique that Stan and Jack were using around this time, where stories flowed one into the other, sometimes made for some weird pacing and structure. Um, yeah, totally. So you really, if you're going to make a trade out of that story, you kind of have to cut the ends off. And I wasn't aware of that format, I think, until this letter. I'm kind of surprised that's how they did that, but like pleasantly so. Mm -hmm. It really does illustrate how differently comics are written today, where everything is nearly arranged, neatly arranged into six issue chunks, which can later be conveniently collected in a trade paperback versus what Stan and Jack were doing. I think that's because trades is where the money's at for them, so... Writing for mm-hmm. the trades is kind of like the strategy these days. If it can't get collected, you can't resell it 5,800 times. Um, I had very little interest in the college stuff, except for the introduction of Wyatt Wingfoot. Uh, he will be an important supporting character for decades to come, and I've always liked him. He's brave, resourceful, intelligent, and the kind of guy you want on your side in a tight spot. It's remarkable to me that in all these years, every writer has resisted the urge to ever give him superpowers. He's just an ordinary guy who is also a hero, which is a big part of his appeal. Giving him powers would ruin him. Um, they really have kind of dropped the college thing so far, and and by extension, the Wyatt thing. But uh, it was kind of neat when he was just randomly traveling around with them. It begins. It makes you wonder, like, what was their goal with that character? Like, why mm-hmm. why does Wyatt Wingfoot even exist? Remember, that's a bad like, thing. Not that he shouldn't, but why does he? He was going to be like the replacement star of the football team or something, and then that subplot just totally disappeared. Totally disappeared. 
moving on to FF number 51, it's a great story and such a wonderful follow-up to the epic galactic story. I seem to recall reading, though I can't tell you where, that it was Jack Kirby's favorite FF issue, or at least one of them. What was number 51? Hmm. It's 51 was the This Man, This Monster, I think. Oh, that is a pretty where, classic. Yeah, where yeah. the thing is uh, sort of recovering from his rejection, what he thinks is a rejection by Sue, uh, Alicia. I was as surprised as you to learn that the villain was named Ricardo Jones. I would have sworn that remained forever name. He named was ah, remained forever nameless, and maybe he should have been. It fits the story better. I did a bit of googling, and it turns out that the name comes from a Web of Spider-Man sixty-nine from nineteen ninety of all places. In that story, we meet. Mac- Ricardo's brother, Armin Jones, who had invented a power stealing machine just like his brothers. Keep things in the family, I guess. This is Okay, that's random. That's very random. That's like someone like reading old comics and going, hey, I'm gonna bring that back. Why doesn't this guy have a name? Or a brother that also does things. (laughs) Uh, This has gone on pretty long, so I suppose I'll leave it there. As always, thanks for a great podcast, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott. I have a uh, comment on the website from Price. Okay, Jeff Goldblum. Yes, of the Tim variety. This is Tim Price's comment. Yeah, introducing Jeff Goldblum's brother, episode 120. We recorded episode 167 recently, so we're behind. (laughs) Tales of Suspense 78, Iron Man steals a jet. Shoot, he's a millionaire. Why didn't he just buy it? That takes forever. I was watching um, Justice League, and Clark's like, thanks for what you did for my mom. How'd you get the bank to drop the... Dropped the foreclosure, and he's like, I bought the bank. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Tony, come on, get on that. Or why Everybody else even... was like, why don't you just drop the, buy the mortgage? Jeez. Right. What's, what's the difference? Yeah, you would think so. Maybe there was more strat. Maybe the bank is nefarious, and he wanted to get behind it and do investigating or something. I like that idea. Yeah. Saving the world through. Um, you know how he is. He never just does one thing. It's always for a reason. Batman? Yeah. Wheels within wheels with that man. Right. Uh, he says, or why would you just bribe the soldier to look the other way? No judgment. They could have made any underpaid soldier pretty happy. Oh, wait. His wallet is probably back in his briefcase. Never mind. No soldier would be bribed into just letting someone take a helicopter. Come on. What are you, a communist? <laughs> That's what Spider-Man should have done in Amazing Spider-Man 1 when he wanted to take the jet and save John Jameson. Should have just given the guy money. Oh, wait a second. He no, doesn't have any. No. Until the end of that issue, he didn't. So Ultimo was made in a volcano and destroyed in a volcano. <laughs> Isn't the volcano the same temperature? Why would it suddenly destroy? I mean, is lava from an erupting volcano actually hotter? I need some science to answer for me. Uh, yeah. Do you have any science? I do not, especially not for that. Um, maybe uh, the volcano is the same volcano. It's the same lava. But it was the afternoon instead of the morning, so the sun had risen, which, you know, like like you're inside of your car, everything gets hotter. And then, if you're going to write this science paper, you got to throw in the fact that he then showed up again recently, and we're not sure if it's the same one or a different one, or maybe he was never destroyed in the first place. And how did he get from one volcano to another volcano? I guess he travels volcano. I don't know. He travels by volcano. Like, he just... Because Magneto can travel magnetism waves, so if you're made in a volcano, you can just appear in whatever volcano you want. And Mole Man can just come out of the ground mm-hmm. anywhere. Yep. And and Hulk can travel by gamma rays. <laughs> you just shoot the gamma rays, the Hulk follows? Yes. Uh, okay, them. I hate that name. 
Really, I hate saying it. I hate thinking it. It's too awkward for conversation. Eight, 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 which means it's a brilliant name for a bad guy group. Yep. I don't know if brilliant, but I also hate saying it. You know, what's funny is we're, as of this recording, also covering some prisoner. Now we're going to have to say them a lot, I think, because we don't know who they are. Oh, yeah. But we're going to say they, not them. They. Capital T, they. Right. Cap and Nick together was really awesome. I wonder if we'll ever see them team up again. Really? What are the odds? Not likely. Not likely. As in, we've done it at least twice since then. Mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man 37. Oh, wow. This is back in the Ditko days. The idea of the huge, wacky wall walker being a robot is insane, and I love it. Oh, like one of those like green slime things that like walks the wall? Mm-hmm. But not completely far-fetched. Lots of robot designs in recent years focus on soft surfaces to make it easier to grab and manipulate things than a hard metallic claw like we usually imagine. Wildly ahead of its time, or did the comic inspire today's robot designers? Probably. Kind of like how Star Trek influences cell phones? All All science fact comes from science fiction. Everybody knows that. Yes. Um, And we have Norman. I really, really like how this is setting up clues for the future issues. Now, I'm sorry to already know where this is going. It's too late to really relive the mystery unfolding. Seems to me like it's handled very nicely. This is one of those things that whenever people talk about the mystery of Norman Osborn and how it was like, you know, I don't know. Some of the things that people say, like, mm-hmm. Steve and Stan didn't know where they were going. It was a random decision. I'm like, dude, how can you even read the comics and say mm-hmm. that? Exactly. It's spelled out so well. Um, oh, did Jonah already know Norman? I wish he'd said something. <laughs> <laughs> we go to the same club as Norman Osborn. The Avengers 28, Goliath in his new costume. Seriously, Wanda just make costumes for people? Wait, that's not what he says. Seriously, Wanda just makes costumes for people? Oh, wait, maybe she doesn't have a specific person in mind for the costume. Just makes them and then it's all, yeah, I totally made it just for you. Uh-huh. Okay, that bit is inspired by some 2000s era Avengers stuff. I'm not a clever person. I don't know the 2000s era's Avengers stuff that you're talking about, so I'm going to go with you being a clever person, Tim. Yeah. And it works because all guys are the same height and build, right? Um, Back to the Future 2, you press the button and the thing just like forms to your body. Or Spider-Man, it's Iron Man costumes and stuff, same thing. Right. Especially Hank Pym, though. He is definitely the same height and build as everybody else. Totally. Unstable molecules. I don't know. Yeah. You can with whatever you want. The Fantastic Four, 51. I'd heard about this issue, and of course I've seen the cover before, but have never read it. Wow, this was intense. Between the Galactus trilogy and this issue, this is iconic FF to me. You guys finished talking about what villain team Boomerang was a member of. Sinister Six? Nope. Crime Syndicate? So close. I was furrowing my brow as hard as I could to help you guys remember, but I guess my time-spanning telepathy hasn't kicked in yet. I will keep working on it. Until next time, or until Boomerang joins the Sinister Syndicate. You didn't think I was going to leave you in suspense, did you? I did. Yeah, I was I like, totally what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> make mine, make ours, Marvel. Sinister Syndicate. So I don't know if I know who that is. That How is that different from Sinister Six exactly? Just more? I think it's just a different team with a sinister name. That doesn't have to conform to Six? Yeah, I think the Sinister Syndicate is that it's that loser group with uh, Boomerang, Speed Demon, Hydra Man, and uh, the Beetle. They're the Sinister Syndicate. Oh, yeah. Hydra Man, Rhino, Boomerang, Speed Demon were the first. 
Okay, I've actually read those guys. For some reason, I thought that was just Sinister, uh, the new Sinister Six. But yeah, okay, so they're like the defenders of the <laughs> of the Spider Man <laughs> villain groups or something like that. The champions. Well, the crazy thing about the Sinister Six is you get them used and make our and make ours Marvel number one. You get them used in Amazing Spider Man Annual number one, and then they're not a thing mm. again until I think like 1989 or 1990. They bring back the idea of the Sinister Six. So even though nowadays we've had like 25 Sinister Sixes, um, when the Sinister Syndicate came out, they weren't competing for the name. I just started playing this app called Marvel Strike Force. I, I know I'm way behind the times because it's been around forever. But one of the things is certain characters fight better if they fight alongside other characters. And apparently the Sinister Six is a really good villain group to put together. Oh. They all get bonuses fighting with each other and stuff. They elevate one another? They elevate one another. Yes, you would think they wouldn't because they're Marvel villains who usually just tear each other down, but not in video games, I guess. Do you have PQ River? I have episode 23, Master of Black Magic by, yeah, PQ River. Just a heads up. I have most of the run of the Immortal Amazing Spider-Man classic series. That on an earlier show, John said he no longer has, question mark. Would he, would be happy to post on our, oh. Or somehow forward, especially in trade for any Golden Age Superman shows that may lurk on the hard drive somewhere. Well, you don't have to do that anymore. Right. Those shows. Thank you very much, by the way, for the offer, PQ. And I'm sorry that I didn't get back to you in a, in a faster time. I tend to let these comments sit there and then I just respond to them on the show. So apologies. But all of that stuff is out there and available again. Amazing Spider-Man Classics is available on AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com. Um, and Golden Age Superman is available on goldenagesuperman.lipson.com. The feeds don't work in iTunes because whenever I submit it to them, they say, huh, thank you for your submission, but it's rejected. I don't know why. So, hmm. yeah. Uh, they don't give me a reason of what's not working. They say, yeah, it, it, when they accept it, because like it's through their screening, but they're like, uh-huh. there was a problem with your submission. Goodbye. Sounds like you have to call somebody, and that may not be worth it. Yeah. All righty. What you got? I got What's the Bible? Oh, wait, that, it's my, is it my turn? It's your turn. It's my turn. Sorry. What is the Bible? Bill Foss, message body. Hi, I just found your podcast and listened to the first episode. This is just what I've been looking for. Yay. During the podcast, you mentioned the Bible a few times. It's obviously not the Bible in the beginning, etc. What is it? Thanks. Okay. Before we answer the question, I do love that Bill wanted to clarify that we weren't he wasn't asking us comic book podcasters to explain the bible to him i appreciate that bill <laughs> you know what's really dumb though what's that is this is one that i do remember we answered before before our tape got eight mm-hmm. um and i spent some time trying to remember where the bible is and look it up and then i answered it and then the tape got eight and i don't know the answer again Oh, no. <laughs> it was like the Fantastic Four 30th anniversary issue or something. Fantastic Four. I'm going to Google if you hear typing. 30th anniversary uh, comic book. So, But but just to clarify, um, the idea is that whenever a series is pitched or a, or something, there's usually a somewhat thorough document describing the series. And that document that describes what is the Fantastic Four and like the first half of the first issue's script or plot was reprinted in a Fantastic Four issue. But that document is what we referred to at the time as the FF Bible. I wanted to say, I want to say, uh, uh, boy, it was one of the anniversary issues. I don't remember which one. It's all right. Po- possibly 375, something like that. But yeah, it was just like a little two page 
like a two-page thing of what Stan's idea initially was for the series. So it was like interesting to read because it was slightly different than what we got. Mm-hmm. Um, in some of the Star Trek making of books, there's copies of like what mm-hmm. the Weirdo Man was gone before script was like before it actually got made. It's mm-hmm. just interesting to see the differences where you get stuff like the USS Yorktown and stuff. Captain April from the USS Yorktown. Right. And when I hear, when I'm reading a comic series that I really like, and I hear that there was a pitch or a plan or whatever for like X number of issues, I'm like, yes, we've got like, you know, not only a great story, but I know that they're good, like they're developing stuff over a long period. And then whenever those creators get taken off the book prematurely, that's when I get sad. Yeah. Supergirl from 2011. I'm looking at you. <laughs> okay. Um, what's Weird next? Flex Foggy? Weird flex, Foggy. Tim Price, is that what you got? That's what I got. Okay, the X-Men number 21, where the heroes fight dominoes. But why did the pizza not arrive at the mansion in 30 minutes or less? Did they forget Angel's buffalo wings? I just don't get it. Oh, Dominus. Oh, never mind. Why do we keep reading Tim Price emails? It's really, I don't know. (laughs) I'm just kidding, Tim. You're great and stuff. Okay, looking at the thumbnail of the cover of your website, it looks like the Hulk is attacking the X-Men, gosh, that would have been a lot better than the story we got. Dominus? More like Dominus. Am I right? Have I made this joke before? How come I don't even remember <laughs> yeah. Dominus? That's 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 a great – because it was like a two-issue thing. Um, wow. I'm kind of it, forgetting who he is. but Like a giant green robot of some sort? I forget exactly. Dominus Marvel. Thank God X-Men. for the internet, right? Oh, that – that looks like a lady named Domino, so that didn't work. Anyway, moving on. Daredevil number 17. I'm so intrigued by the near miss on Spidey learning Daredevil's secret identity. I have the issue where DD figures out Spidey's identity, but until the point DD came out to Spidey, yes, that's intentional wording, I never saw any hint that Peter even had a suspicion who DD was. Learning. Love it. That was pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, and I'm Makes still convinced. wish they would actually like, unmask earlier than they actually do. Mm-hmm. And I'm still convinced the Mass Marauder is actually the master planner. The whole Doc Ock thing was a fake out. Yep. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. No, not really. But MM is just not interesting otherwise. Which one? Oh, yeah. MP or MM were not that interesting. Um, Thor number 129. Oh, that wacky Hercules. What trouble will he get into next? Good thing his sidekick Thor is around to help bail him out. Really? This almost could be Herc's comic. Maybe they were testing the waters of a Herc solo series. And maybe on Earth H they did. Um, he did seem to be the star of a lot of stuff going on for a little bit. like, And then now he's an Avengers. Maybe that's what they were testing the waters for. I have no idea who Roundhead Woman is, and yeah, I'm intrigued. I have no idea who Roundhead Woman is, and yeah, I'm also intrigued. That was the um, the Rigelian oh, woman? Oh, oh, she was quite something, and then it turned out just to be comic relief and whatever. Okay, but wait, Thor supposedly still have a secret supposedly still has a secret identity to protect Jane from his enemies, right? But he just goes to Jane's apartment through the front door in daytime. Table flip. Yeah, nobody understands how to really do their secret identities, I feel like. I don't remember what happened. I wonder if whenever he's Thor, he just like doesn't even think in those terms. Secret identity? What's secret identity? Yeah, I'm Thor. I've always been Thor. How about they? Uh, I don't remember what happened in Tales of Asgard, but I do remember reading a book on Norse mythology when I was in seventh grade from the school library. I never would have picked it up if not for Thor comics. No chance I'll recall the author, but it was fascinating. Gave me an extra insight while reading Thor over the years. I never did that. That's weird. That's not not a bad idea, actually. Uh, 
Tales to Astonish 81, Submariner getting all hungry at Dorma. Sheesh, dude. Should eat a double cheeseburger or something. I mean, just imagine how many calories he burns per day to keep that six-pack. And we never see him eat. Gotta take care of yourself, Namer. He has a problem. He has a problem. Oh, that panel where Krang says, the color of your skin doesn't change who you are. I posted that to Twitter right away when I read it with the same sentiments as you guys. Because comics weren't political back then. Never political, especially Never. not in like civil rights times. Mm-mm. Uh, Boomerang's triumphant debut, or not. <laughs> it goes to show <laughs> first is not always best. Thank goodness that costume disappeared. And baseballs? Jeez, hmm, that's weird. Thought that was a Hulk story. But I don't have anything about the Hulk. Oh, well, better luck next time, green guy. Until then, or until the Hulk does fight the X-Men, but with different looks and names... Make mine, make ours marvel. Um, Trying to think of when the Hulk has fought the X-Men. I know he's fought X-Factor. He's in one of the last issues before the series gets canceled. But it's still the okay. same guys. I guess if they're like one or two new people. Um, Mimic? Hmm. I don't know. Ooh, if Mimic fought Hulk, does he turn into the Hulk? Mimic is in a Hulk issue. But he just absorbs, he doesn't just limit himself to the X-Men, right? He could just yeah. be anything. So I, don't, I don't remember exactly how that happens. Wow. Throw throw mimic at Juggernaut, see what happens. Yeah, that'd be interesting. All right, so let's see. Ah, I just lost my place. Go back down to the Tim Price message. Oh, I have a Scott Fadden on August twenty second. McFadden. Okay. Did you just read the weird flex foggy one? Yes, I did. Okay, so August seventeenth, and you have Scott McFadden from August twenty second. Yes, I have an August seventeenth for. I guess size really does matter. Okay. Well, it's your turn anyway. It's my turn anyway. Tim Price writes in a comment on episode 122. I guess size really does matter. uh, Avengers 29. I don't think anyone uses the name Giant Man after this. Au contraire, mon frère. Pardon my French. Bill Foster started as Black Goliath and then switched to Giant Man in the Marvel 2-in-1 Project Pegasus saga. What? What? I didn't. I did not know that. Um, I think after I said that, like later on, I saw him as Giant Man in like a Marvel Comics Presents story. So I, I, I may have called, but uh, Tim says, and he used that name just about until he died. Bill Foster dies. Oh, wait, I knew that. The Civil War. Then there's mm. a new giant man introduced just before the Secret Empire crossover event. Not sure if he's still around. But very importantly, Hank himself starts using the name during the Brown Jacket Avengers era. Look for his sleeveless oh. costume and the open face mask, which really, what's the point of that used everywhere in the 90s? Oh, I remember that look. I didn't know he was going by Giant Man, though. I did not either. Um, also, that really weird face-framing thing. Like like that Gambit has and stuff? Yeah, yeah. and so many image characters have it. Like, Yeah. I, I, it like, keeps your hair out of your face. I that's guess, about all it does. <laughs> Which, you know, as a, as a man with long hair, I appreciate having the hair out of the face while you're fighting. Um, you know how, like, when you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and your hair is sticking up on the side? Like, that would prevent that. It Just would. sleep with that thing on. It's a head sock. <laughs> with a hole for your face. <laughs> right. Just like Scarlet Witch had in her first appearances. Like, yes, yes exactly, exactly that. that. The ice cream cone. He says, you're probably reading this two years after you guys covered that issue, so really, who cares by now moving on? Yeah. Okay, I resemble that remark. When did we cover Avengers 29? This is episode one. Uh, two years ago. It's been a solid year because we've done like 45 issues, episodes since then. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Tales of Suspense, one, uh, not 100. We haven't gone that far. Tales of Suspense, 79. Iron Man versus Krang's Crafty Killing Capsule. That should have been the name of the episode. 
Mm-hmm. And look, Krang has changed his outfit in a way that will totally keep us from confusing him with Kang. No. Uh, One of them is no. wearing purple and green and looks like he's from yes. underwater and has a blue face and is smitten by yep. a royal woman. And the other, the other, uh, hey, look, a Captain America story. Yep. Um, as we're reading this, I've been listening to the uh, Cars audiobook that we did from, uh-huh. and it's just like, oh, yeah, not, not Kang all over again. Mm. Red Skull is definitely the cat villain. So it was great that they brought him back. But the suspended animation bit was so weak. I'm sorry. It never sat well with me. I knew about it, but somehow thought this story would make me think better of it. Nope. I guess it would work better for me if the skull put himself into hibernation like his sleepers because he's such a planner. Oh, well, I'm just a rando with a keyboard anyway. That would work a lot better, actually. Yeah, I mean, if you intentionally go into suspended animation, what's the point? Why not just win on that day? Well, because maybe he saw that the tables were turning and they were all going to lose and Hitler killed himself. And it's like, okay, I'll come back another time. That's why he made the sleepers, right? Okay. That does make sense. But you, you're like, you're trusting so much. We talked about this during the sleeper story. Yeah, that's true. He is trusting so much to happen there that really in the course of the story was total coincidence that was able to happen. Right. Uh, Yeah. What if no one wakes you up or what if the machine stops working or or what if no one goes and pushes the button on the sleeper? Mm Mm-hmm. I just keep wanting Cap's psychiatrist to reveal that he's Mysterio. Is that weird? Does Cap have a psychiatrist? Maybe he did in that episode when he was having so many wow. weird Red Skull memories. Oh, yes, yes. Wasn't there an issue where he was seeing things? Yes. It, that was AIM, though. Yes. Was that Red Skull or AIM? Anyway, yeah. Maybe it was, maybe it was both? I don't know. Uh, Fantastic Four 52, the Black Panther! I really liked his intro, and Kirby gave him amazing eyes. They're like Doctor Doom intense. Love it. You know what the that was a cool first issue. Yeah, I like the Black Panther. You know the best way to introduce yourself to new people? Knock them mm. unconscious. I can't tell you how many dinner parties I've been to. And I Invite them to a party, knock them out, right? Feed See them. See if they can beat you in a fight. <laughs> dinner parties I've been to, and I've barely started to explain the Spider-Man clone saga, <laughs> and then ah, knocked out. Yeah. Thank goodness it's not a big deal or leaving me in a vulnerable position or anything. Although some interesting Facebook posts have turned up now and again. But it's all in good fun, right? Right, comrades? So we had the druid pretending to be a magician, but it was actually disguised tech. Now Wakanda looks like natural jungle, but it's actually disguised tech. Not complaining. Just surprised to see such a similar beat because I like the camouflage approach in Wakanda. I can't believe camouflage has a U in it. Thanks for nothing, school. I've always liked the whole, this looks like a natural landscape. But we really are an advanced technological civilization hiding underneath. All the flowers are robots. Yeah. Wait, what? That's pretty handy. Were they robots in the in the in the in the scene that we saw? Oh, I don't know. I just made it up. <laughs> what if all the plants and stuff are just robotic or something and spying on you? Well, that's uncomfortable. Uh, thanks for another lovely episode. Until next time, or until the Black Panther moves to Hell's Kitchen, make mine make ours, Marvel. I remember that. I do not. So that's cool. Yeah, they um. Marvel was doing this thing for a while in the late 2000 aughts, early 2010s, where they would like change the core character of a title. Like the Incredible Hulk became the Incredible Hercules. Oh, I remember that title. Yeah. And Daredevil became Black Panther, the man without fear. Interesting. Yes. Okay. I didn't read any of it, but I remember the the title. Okay. Okay. Now you can do Scott McFadden on August 22nd. (sighs) 
Yay. Hi, guys. Thanks for another great episode. I must admit, I wasn't sure that you would make it all the way to Ditko's departure. Neither were we. It seemed like such a long way away when you started, yet here you are. I know that you're going to have to bring this podcast to an end someday, but I do hope that the day is a long time in the future. We are recording this very soon after having done our fake quit. <laughs> Which worked better than I thought. So I was quite pleased by our our uh, sneakiness. Yes. Um, I am middling on Just a Guy Named Joe. It's certainly not Ditko's best work, but it does have its moments, if only for the supporting cast stuff and the final appearance of Ditko's shadowy Mary Jane. It always amuses me when I remember that Mary Jane Watson, who was destined to become the woman in Spider-Man's life, started out as a running gag in the Lee and Ditko era. It is one of those things like, what would Ditko have drawn her like if he ever did draw her? So when he says it was a running gag... I'm wondering if he means that, like, from a creative standpoint, they really just didn't mean to do anything with her except have her be a joke, or Mm -hmm. if that's just all that amounted to, because that's just all they were ever had the chance to do. Mm -hmm. I just don't know which. Do we know the answer? I don't. Maybe maybe Scott does, but I do not know the answer to that. I think it could go either way, really. Honestly, yeah. Um, Making fun of a comic trope by overdoing it in a, in a way like that would definitely be up, you know, 60s Marvel's alley. Uh-huh. But I, I just don't know. Um, I don't know whether either of you are old enough to remember this, but back in 1982, the Marvel Tales comic, which had always been a Spider-Man reprint series, went back to the very beginning and started reprinting the old Lee Ditko run from Amazing Fantasy 15 onward. I was in high school then and bought each new issue avidly every month. This was a few years before the Marvel Masterworks or Essential Marvel series, and of course many years before digital comics had even been dreamed of. You couldn't get these stories in those days, so it was something really special to be able to follow the early progression of Spider-Man month by month, just like those first readers in the 60s had. John, you did a good job of summing up the way that Spider-Man changed the comic industry, and reading the series gradually like I did then, it was easy to see. Peter's personal life being just as important to the story as the superhero stuff was pretty revolutionary at the time. I forget who said it, but someone once said Spider-Man was the first superhero who ever worried about how he was going to pay the rent every month. We'll never know if it was Stan or Steve who was primarily responsible for shaping the story in that direction, but I think it's really what made the series something special. Um, Those reprint series, like 1982, no, I don't remember. I don't even think I was collecting comics yet. Uh, I'm, a, I'm aware that Marvel Two Tales rebooted then, but I was not collecting comics. Yeah, but like it's true. Like those re- and actually, it's also kind of ironically untrue in a way because it was probably easier to get a Amazing Fantasy 15 in 1982 than it is now. Oh, just but, because uh, of yeah, because <laughs> now it's not going to go for less than a million, right? But, right. But uh, um, but yeah, those reprint like there was a lot of reprint series back then because that's what we had. We didn't really they didn't do the trades that much. And there was no digital, like you said. So it's like classic X Men and stuff yeah, like not, that. That's the whole time. It's classic X Men. But there were others too. There was like Marvel superheroes, and I don't know. There was a bunch of them. But yeah, good stuff back then that they don't need now, I guess, as much. And they were really popular. Although I find that they're doing it now again, aren't they? It seems like reprint series I've, from the I've beginning. Se- I've seen some solicits where it's like recreating classic titles or issues. So maybe there's still a call for it. Maybe. It was a big uh, thing throughout the 60s and 70s. There were always reprint series going on. Um, mm-hmm. And just they survived into the 80s. And then I, I don't know what caused them to start backing off. Because 
I feel like they were less common before any of the modern stuff that I feel like would make them unattractive, digital comics, etc. So I don't know what it was that made them stop selling. I think trades probably would be my guess, but like that was a better format to collect old things in. Oh yeah, like so the Marvel Masterworks trade collections would probably be one of the first big projects that put the kibosh on them then. Because that started coming, trades started coming around 80s and 90s. Like once Frank Miller starts writing Batman, there's trades, right? Right. Because you got to get those to the bookstore because because normal people who want to read this stuff that's in the newspaper don't go to comic shops. So now we make books out of comics. Um, so that's probably what happened. But but yeah, like even now as we're covering this show, we're like skipping reprint series because why do that? But some of them is like reprinting Golden Age stuff, which would have been like super essential for people back in the 60s who didn't have, you know, their collection anymore or whatever. Uh, you didn't mention that at the end, the next issue box promises the biggest surprise of the season awaits you. I wonder if that refers to the Green Goblin's secret identity or the fact that there's a new artist. Both. Yeah, I'm content with both. But um, although I'm, you know, I, I, it, to me, there's no, I know people debate this, but to me, it's not a debate. It's just the way things are. Uh, that Norman Osborn was Steve Ditko's Green Goblin. Whether he was planning to reveal that in issue 39 or not is, you know, anyone's guess. He was certainly building toward it was going to do it soon. So mm-hmm. whenever Stan wrote that next issue box, did he know Steve was quitting? Did he know they were going to have issue 39 as the Green Goblin? I just don't know. So it's, it's a good question. It seemed awfully rushed to me. So I feel like Ditko would have kept it going for a while. Probably did. Probably. But I don't know. Anyway, thank you, Scott. That was the end of that. So I have over on the website, uh, same date, August 22nd, Tim Price, Not Comic Special 27, Captain America, Captain America 2, Death 2, Subaloo. Go for it. Gosh, I haven't watched these movies since they originally aired on TV. Let me think. I was about 12. You all make me feel old. Thanks. I can't help it if you feel old, Tim. Maybe it's because you're old. You were 12 in the 70s? You are old. (laughs) I know they weren't great. But my memories of them were so fun because, as Mike said, we would take anything we could then. They did the best they could for the time. But they also fired my imagination like nobody's business. I still can picture Cap throwing his motorcycle up onto a bridge, then jumping up after it. Does it make sense? Heck no. (laughs) But it was hell of awesome. Why doesn't that make sense? That makes perfect sense to me. I'll buy comic book Captain America throwing his motorcycle up onto a bridge. Sure. Well, if you're going to drive, the, ride the motorcycle down the bridge, how do you get it up there first? You have to put it up there first, right? Right. You can't go up first without the motorcycle or else the motorcycle's on the ground. So really, that's the only logical option. Spider-Man would go up first and then flip his webs down and pull up the motorcycle. Sure. Sure. If you got web shooters, that's right. the way to go. Captain America does not have web shooters. No. It would be fun to hear you all discuss TV or theatrical movies like this. In my humble opinion, they have a worse rap than they deserve. If you wanted to do the 1997 Justice League pilot episode, little heads up that Shag covered it for a special JLI podcast episode this year. And now that Challenge of the Superheroes special, whew, the world mm. with you, my friends. I um, think we actually threatened to do it, or at least behind the scenes threatened to do it, but we haven't Yeah, we done. joked about it. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if I have it in me. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, have you seen... I, I know we had this identical conversation last time, and I don't remember the answer. Have you seen the Challenge of the Superheroes Two part. I don't. I no. I'm pretty sure I haven't. I've just seen like clips here and there. Yeah, it's on. Well, okay. It was. I, it was on DC Universe. I don't know if it's on HBO Max now. 
I I have also not seen uh, the Star Wars Holiday Special, and they both have that kind of vibe of like, don't watch me. <laughs> yeah, they're from that yeah. same era. The whole like variety show. Let's just put celebrities in their celebrity roles on this show mm-hmm. for no reason. Yeah, yep. yeah. I never really thought about lumping those together, but they are kind of the same vibe. Yeah, that's why I haven't watched them. Tim closes, great episode as always, and like John, I'll gladly take a break from coming up with a tagline, they hurt my brain sometimes. So until Tim Price can't come up with a tagline for a TV movie special. Oh. Oh. All right. I have to go through the ads. Podcast advertising opportunities available. Hmm. Dang it, we missed it. Do you have Tim Price's one on Farewell Steve Ditko? I do. Okay. August 23rd. Strange Tales, number 146, Fury and Shield facing them. And that name cannot go away soon enough. It's actually fun to say they, them, when you don't know who the bad guys are, but as an actual name, awkward and annoying. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Hey, look, Fury and his team wearing purple scuba gear. Did they save those from the time the Howlers wore that? Covered just last episode, number 122. Or is there only one supplier of scuba gear in the Marvel Universe? Can we get this in black? Nope, we got purple. You, you don't have any other color? What are you, a wise guy? We got purple. Everybody knows purple is the best for being sneaky underwater. Uh, I mean, I feel like it would do pretty well for being sneaky underwater. Yeah. Blue might be better. Or gray or something. Anyway. Doctor Strange and the end at last. Seriously, did Stan write that caption because even he was tired of this arc? <laughs> And it wrapped things up nicely because wrapping up. We had another episode recently where just like two different comics were called The End or Finally or something. It's about time. Uh, yes, love the art. I was stunned to see the two full page spreads and they were amazing. So if you're going to go, Ditko must have thought, story shmory, I'm drawing what I want. Mm-hmm. I think he thought about, I think that's what he thought every time he was doing Doctor Strange, probably. <laughs> Maybe. Uh Amazing Spider-Man number 38. So Joe gets his big break as an actor because his super strength let him do something ama- let him do some amazing fight scenes. Now his strength is gone. How long is his new career going to last? Do I have to read Captain America 246 to find out? Or I totally want to read Captain America 246 because I am blown away that that's the same dude in that comic and I don't remember that comic at all. You should read ahead. So, There's no rule. Must not be great. No, no, I can't do that. I read zero Marvel except for this show because I do not want to be spoiled in 2021. I do appreciate Peter slash MJ always missing each other. It's a cute running gag and not frustrating because I already know what she looks like and she's been a big part of Peter's life for a long time. If I was a reader back then, I might have been getting tired of the near misses by now. So yeah, it'll be fun to see the big reveal soon. I wonder if that did get obnoxious. I never found it annoying. I thought it was funny, but, uh, you know, I also know who Mary Jane was, so. Daredevil number 18, Gladiator the Costume Maker. I'll defeat all the superheroes through the power of clothes. Right. That is such a weird idea. (laughs) Can't imagine why no one has tried this before. And then, his pants don't fit right, so many baggy parts. I have to think that was on purpose by Ramita and Hilarious. You know, isn't Batman, though, like in his Silver Age especially, isn't he basically killing them with the power of sneaky clothing? Uh, in the Silver Age, he just straight up comes into a room and starts punching people, and he just outpunches everybody. Okay. I feel like. Well, I never actually got to the Silver Age. I'm, I was stuck in the Golden Age. Still, I was but, just thinking, uh, like, like he's got his gadgets, his utility belt, his, his like, magic. Yeah, and get he's all, a ninja, right? And he has all the, like, different colored suits. 
He's a smart ninja. Oh, you mean the 50s and stuff? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Batman. Whatever. Foggy pretending to be Daredevil when better than Flash Thompson. Went better than Flash Thompson dressing as Spider-Man. At least Foggy wasn't captured by Doctor Doom. Is it me? Or is this twisting a Silver Age trope on its ear? The love interest trying to figure out the hero's identity. If so, it's exci- it's executed really well, and Foggy's behavior is correctly cringeworthy. I think that was the beginning of Daredevil becoming farcical. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. They, they slowly warmed up to it before they're just like, you know what? Forget it. This is the last I remember, book. like... I remember reading that one and going, like, kind of chuckling, going, that's weird, but it's kind of okay and funny for a one-off. And then it wasn't a one-off. <laughs> okay. Thor number 130, saving Hercules from Pluto. There was lots of great fighty fight, really great, and I hardly remember any of it. Seriously, it was more just a great experience, so I'll take it. Yeah. So Jane's about to disappear again. Come on. Now I want to see Disney's Hercules meet Disney's Pluto, the dog. Much to the pleasure of the movies Hades and Pegasus, because Herc and Pluto would be best friends. They would. Yeah, Hercules strikes me as a dog person for sure. Uh, that's enough for this week. Until next time, or until Gladiator lifts the Baxter building off the ground, or is that a different Gladiator? Make mine, make ours marble. Thank you, Tim. Thank okay, you. I'm looking and I have two little Facebook comments, and then I'll read okay. the next uh, message too. So, okay. um, Back 29 weeks ago, Patrick Delmore said on episode 124 that he is on episode 110, excited to catch up with the show. So, Patrick, hope you're still listening and enjoying things. Thank you very much. Mike Zuma says, I'm reading along. I cry when I get to Roy Thomas books. Oh, in a good or bad way? Uh, from early Roy Thomas, I would say in a bad way. From Yeah, that's my guess, too. <laughs> You know, that first email we had from Morrissey about people who evolve over time, Roy frickin' Thomas. Roy Thomas evolves yeah. over time. Yeah. I actually already am enjoying his stories more mm-hmm. than we did initially. Mm-hmm. Some of them, anyway. His Avengers, I mean, it's not the yeah. epic thing that people think of when they think of Roy Thomas' Avengers, but it's gotten a lot better than it was. Absolutely, yeah. We also have um, a website comment from Tim Price. Who's that guy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same episode, 124, full crossover achievement unlocked. The X-Men 22, amazing to see the X-Men defeat Colossus. I didn't expect it for another 72. Wait, Colosso? No, I don't think so. Page six, middle right panel, the narration box. Colossus unveils still more startling surprises. Yeah, like how he changed from a robot into a Russian. Pretty amazing. I wish that was Colossus. That would have been cool. <laughs> that would be cool. Having Colossus would make the book better. It's yes, weird. let's get to that. It's weird because for years I have had this very fond uh, affinity toward 05 X-Men, the original 5 X-Men series. But going back there uh-huh. for the show, it's just not holding up for me, sad to say. Well, maybe it'll pick up steam now that they have a new look or something. We're fighting Frankenstein uh-huh. next issue, Mike. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and Magneto's in Avengers. Right, right. Magneto's in Avengers, it. and the X-Men are fighting Frankenstein. Okay, never mind. Where's Colossus? I need Colossus. <laughs> you guys didn't miss it. They never explained the X-Men images. Must have been Porcupine's illusion quills, because sure, why not? Unless, is the Master of Dreams back? No. Well, Mastermind, maybe? No, no. I don't know. I don't even remember the story anymore. Uh, it was the um, Count Nefaria 
gets all like the strange oh, tales losers. So that makes more sense, Master of Dreams. Yeah, I do remember they like led the X Men to traps through images that were never explained or something. Mm-hmm. Hank mistaking the guy with long hair for Vera. What the hell, Hank? Pretty sure when pretty sure women's business suits were not a thing yet, so it's just ridiculous to make that mistake. I agree. There's definitely an anti hippie sentiment felt there. Totally. I think they're going to 180 on that pretty quick, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think Stan really. Someone said online recently that uh, Stan starts going out and making speeches at colleges, and it really mm. shifts his sentiments towards the counterculture generation. Because remember, there there was also that Spider-Man where he like comically has to push his way through a crowd of uh, protesters, mm-hmm. and he just is like nothing but disdain for them. So I was like, that's going to change. That is going to change. And I don't know if he changes because of genuine appreciation for the people or because he realizes this is his audience and he needs to stop ridiculing them. Either way, I guess. Either way. Tales of Suspense 80. Wow. The first true crossover. I agree. There's no lasting effects on Iron Man's storyline, but like you guys, I do think there is a lasting publishing slash storytelling effect. Being first is rarely the best effort, so it's probably solely a stunt to see how readers would react. For good or ill, it must have worked well. What was the first crossover? Iron Man and Submariner. Oh. Um, they appeared in each other's books in a storyline that technically you had to read in order by going back and forth between the two comics. Oh, yes. Okay, that kind of crossover. But then, com- yeah, yeah. then coming out of it, it didn't really, if you had missed no. the story, it didn't matter. That was that Submar- Submariner story arc where you could basically cut out the middle eight parts and he was exactly where he started. Right, because he goes after Krang and Dorma and then does a lot of stuff on land and then goes after Krang and Dorma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will hold out judgment on if the events in the story itself will have a longer impact, even though they didn't in this issue. That doesn't mean they won't later. Fingers crossed. Um, uncross uh-huh. those fingers, Tim. Oh, yeah. Disappointment. Red Skull's favorite toy. Uh, Tim, let me just read ahead to make sure this is family. family. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting the first modern story to already feature the cosmic cube. Oh, oh, that that toy, yeah, yeah. Yes. Although, really, it could still go either way at this point. <laughs> yeah. No wonder right. it becomes such a recurring quest for him. Awesome. That's a good point. The fact that he went after the cosmic cube first and therefore goes after it repeatedly later. I like that. It did seem awesome, didn't it? I guess he hasn't read the second part yet. It, it seemed that awesome. That first part time. was pretty awesome. Yeah. You guys talked about Cap already knowing them, so why didn't he recognize the AIM beekeeper as them? I double-checked and Cap saw them while fighting Batrock and saw them in business suits, not yellow cans. Mm. Meanwhile, Fury has seen them beekeepers. He's seen them beekeepers, (laughs) but not AIM. So I think them are still doing well, keeping themselves separate from AIM when they needed. And I can't wait for them to end this. So much, so much them. So much them. Tales to Astonish 82. I don't know. I really liked Kirby's punchy, fighty artwork in this issue. Yes, Iron Man should have used more tech, but being Namor's issue, I can forgive it staying true to his style of action in Punchiest Rex. It was pretty cool. It was. Hulk was Hulk. Hulk confused by a man boomerang throwing pennies at Hulk. Hulk want villain makes sense. Pick a theme, stupid villain, or Hulk call editor. Why is boomerang throwing pennies? Because he's not the best boomerang yet. I really feel like uh, Tiny Disc Man was like already registered or something. That that uh, that kind of goes with John Morrissey's initial question for this show, but he's not as egregious as uh, as uh, the collector, I guess. No, but he just totally different. Yeah, he just gets a suit that actually matches his name. <laughs> so that's well. Also, the business of him being like this 
evil James Bond guy who needs money and stuff. I, I never knew that about him. That doesn't mean that wasn't always his character, though. I don't know. I kind of feel like Fred Myers is still that guy. Uh, it's just how mm-hmm. they depict it evolves over time in the 60s, you know, spy chic. Mm-hmm. I think he always yeah. tries to live a bit above the usual level of means, I think. The um, sinister syndicate. Dang. Yeah. I can't believe we didn't get that. So I didn't read Hulk consistently until John Byrne's run and stuck with it straight to Peter David's and beyond. Are you still reading Hulk? How far beyond did you go? In those eras, infinity there was, <laughs> to infinity. There was some pretty great depictions of Bruce Banner, so those made me care about him as a character. From what little I know, it does seem earlier Banner was a distraction or annoyance for readers and the writer to get to hulking. So maybe he's saying we should adjust our expectations that Bruce Banner is not a thing. Yeah, but then you go back to the Spider-Man effect, where the secret identity is supposed to be a thing. And so I kind of yeah. want it to be, but it's not. No, like we like we've already said, like they it's the opposite. It's Bruce Banner is a drag for the Hulk, not the other way around. Right. As it should be. Except I also grew up with Bixby's David Banner, and that show really had to lean on right. the human side of the character. That's also my earliest Hulk is that TV show. Because you can watch reruns of that TV show in the nineteen eighties. Mm-hmm. So I probably grew up with more affection and interest in Bruce Banner as a byproduct. Does that make any sense? Makes sense to me. David Banner is Way cooler than Bruce Banner. Even the Bruce Banner stuff I've read in the 80s and 90s, I still think David is a more interesting concept somehow. But uh, that could just be Bill Bixby. Who knows? And we covered that first episode. I still remember just how compelling he was as a person. You know, yeah. Bixby just throws his heart into that portrayal. Totally. And then it doesn't hurt that, like, every episode is about him caring about somebody. Right. And his those eyes of his, they just, like, crumple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until next time, or until Boomerang moves in with Peter Parker. Shoot, have I used that one before? I don't think so. Make mine, make ours Marvel. Is that real? I guess. Fred Myers with Peter Parker. I hope that doesn't boomerang on him. Sorry. We don't really... Okay, are we done? Are we going to try and go through September 2? How long have we been going? We've been going for less than an hour. I think... Well, actually, no. Yeah. I think we should try to get in another month. If we're going to release these monthly, we should get more than one month in. Let's do it. Okay. So, 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 that was... John Morrissey? Making sure. Yes, John Morrissey. Felicitations, fantastic fellows. At the risk of being stoned in the Marwilden Town Square. Uh Uh-oh, I must admit that this issue is a very welcome milestone because John Romita is my favorite Spidey artist of all time, and I am not a fan of Steve Ditko's art. Well... I like the first half of your sentence. I don't know if I go as far as not liking Steve Ditko's art, but I mean everybody has the I thing also, they like. But that, I, I think a lot of people love John Romita as Spider Man. Yeah, on Spider Man. So, whoa! I just dodged the first couple of stones. What can I say? I have a great deal of appreciation for the fact that Steve Arino co-created my favorite hero and created the choreography of web slinging and the choreography of his own unique fighting style. But I just don't like his art style. The ever-present ugly faces and odd. Anatomy. If Mr. Ditko had been the one who revealed Mary Jane to the world, that panel would not be as famous as it is today. Ooh, that's that's throwing down the glove. It is, but I had my heart. It's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. John Romita, Mary Jane. That's just pretty classic. I must disagree with your assessment of Romita's art in issue 39. I think he was trying to ape Ditko, as he has said repeatedly in interviews. For example, on the cover... Peter's shins are oddly bowed, a Ditko staple that Ramita would never use in his own style. And on the splash page, Gobby's head is impossibly long 
as was common in Ditko's art. Ramita gave Gabi more reasonable proportions on page two. And Gwen, although much more attractive when drawn by Ramita, he just couldn't help himself, still sports her odd eyeballs and unusual hairline. I, I will agree that the me- the metamorphosis of Gwen Stacy was a protracted development. We're still like barely 100% there. I have also heard Ramita say that he was trying to ape Ditko because they all thought Ditko was going to come back. Mm-hmm. So when I was first going into these, because I've never read these early Ramita, I was expecting more of that than I, we got. So I think if he was legitimately trying to do that, he failed miserably in my opinion. Like it didn't look like Ditko. But yes, it also didn't look like full-on highly polished Ramita yet either. But you could also argue that's just because he hadn't been on the book very long and he had to work his way into it. So I anyway. Have, I have less of an eye for art as like an artist, but like mm-hmm. I know Steve Ditko's Spider-Man. And when I look at Ramita's Spider-Man, I just don't see it, oh, even yeah. though those first there issues. Was, there was no fooling. I'm sure there are some panels where it's more or less so. But just oh, as an mm-hmm. overall effect in that first episode, it's not, it's not Ditko. But he was... Anyway, that, that's his story anyway, in hindsight. Um, and while we're on the subject of the fascinating character that was Steve Dieko, I thought you'd like to know that Zach Cruz just completed his PhD in comics and literature and will be publishing his dissertation on Ditko's art and personal philosophy in January. So that's happened already, maybe. Hmm. In it, he dispels a number of common myths, such as some that you dispelled during this episode, e.g. that Ditko left Marvel because of a disagreement about the identity of the Green Goblin, and others that you promoted during this episode, e.g. that Ditko was a recluse. If you're interested, you can get complete details on this upcoming book by listening to episode 1,773 of Comic Geek Speak, A Conversation with Zach Cruz. Cruz? I don't know how to pronounce his name, but that sounds interesting. I will say that my impressions of Ditko being a recluse are more um, in his later life than his early life. Um, I have heard that there are no photographs of him because he didn't like to be photographed. But again, that's hearsay. Um, The stuff about him not wanting to be bothered and such um, was direct anecdotal. Like first person who wanted to go talk to Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko wouldn't allow any recording devices and barely even allowed them to come upstairs. Um, and just the fact that like no one has ever talked to him and he really keeps to himself seems to reinforce that. However, I am looking forward to listening to the episode and uh, looking for his book and finding out more because I, yeah. I don't like to be wrong. In closing, I offer you both my sympathies. You clearly had a difficult time choosing your favorite. It's from the Batch of Comics published this month, and you had better get used to that. This is the time when Marvel began to hit its stride, and the quality of their books increased exponentially. Hence, I predict that you will continue to have difficult choices to make for months to come. Ah, but what great episodes of Make Ours Marvel they will be. And so, until Venom is first introduced as a woman, make mine Make Ours Marvel. I have found that there are months where it's like, really hard to choose mm-hmm. like because they're all good and then i found months where it's really hard to choose because none of them are really grabbing me so yeah i think we have more now more options than we did before but uh some months are still like eh. continues to be unpredictable Another, right yeah yeah it's not quite uh maybe it never will be but it's not like consistent quality all the time all right so let's see we've got a scott mcfadden from the sixth and tim price from the seventh so scott wins Make Ours Marvel episode 125, Vibranium, the Black Panther, and John Ramita. Hi, buys. Buys? Why did I say buys? 
I mean, I'm the bi. I don't think Mike's bi. Um, hi, guys. This was, of course, a big episode in many ways. We've seen changes in creative teams before, as you said, but the change from Ditko to Ramita on Spider-Man really does seem like a bigger deal than any of those other changes. I hadn't realized until you pointed it out quite how much Peter's personality changed as soon as Ramita took over. Um, I don't remember if I said this on the episode or not. Do you remember the commercial? for paper towels i forget which brand and um it's got these slow motion shots of like babies knocking over their juice or their bowl of spaghetti sauce off of their thing and it's splattering all over the 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 um counter and staining the carpet and it'll say this it plays a song i'm sorry so uh, sorry. Maybe. Anyways, so whenever we covered this issue on Amazing Spider-Man Classics, I went and found that ad on the internet and like grabbed those sound clips because that's really what happens in Ramita's first couple issues after Goblin is like everybody's apologizing for how they've been acting in the last few Ditko issues. And yeah. Uh. Uh, he says, I wonder how much of that change can be attributed to Ramita considering that Stan was the one writing the dialogue. Maybe Stan and John were able to coordinate their efforts a bit more just because they were willing to speak to one another. I suppose we'll never know, but I wonder if they sat down and talked about the direction they wanted to take Spider-Man going forward. And if John might have even said something like, you know, Peter's been acting like kind of a jerk. Maybe we could soften him up a little. Maybe they didn't, but I just didn't like that happening. I imagine lots of talking happened up front, especially because that's, this was got to be their biggest selling book mm-hmm. or one of. And you got this guy who's the co-creator who's been on the book the entire time consistently never anybody else and he up and leaves so yeah there's going to be some brainstorming meetings i imagine especially at the onset like once they get into a groove uh-huh. there's probably a lot more automatic understanding of each other um and you know mistakes also in the mix but at the beginning they've got to okay ramita you know this is spider-man this is what we're going to do and john's like okay let's do this you know they have their conversations my understanding of the quote marvel method is that the initial ideas handed to the writer, I'm sorry, handed to the artist to go draw with are very loose. And that a lot of the indications of what's actually happening in the panels are passed back to the writer as notes on the sides. And so he writes dialogue accordingly. So he gives the people the voice, but he's putting words in the mouth according to the story told by the writer, the artist. That's my understanding for whatever it's worth. It's like, you could have just a paragraph that says Spider-Man fights the Green Goblin this issue, mm-hmm. hand it to the artist and let him run with it. I've seen it where it's like, according to, there was like a Marvel tryout book because I used to eat this stuff up. And in that book, the method meant every page had a paragraph. So page one, this is what we want to accomplish. Page two this is what we want to accomplish. And then the artist got to choose how many panels that was, how to present that. I have a feeling that's not always what Stan gave them. But I have a feeling he was also at least involved in like the overall direction and, and what was going on mm-hmm. up to a point until until these new writers came along. But yeah, like you can the other option before that or still now today is like a writer will detail panel one, page one. This is what I want to see, you know. That's what they call the full script method. So that's like the full script method. So Marvel was less about that. So you don't you just kind of it's kind of muddled as to who what kind of decisions were being made. And I can see like you know, it's just a generic paragraph, and then the writer or the artist takes his own idea on that. And then when it comes back, maybe Stan doesn't even remember the paragraph he gave the guy. So now he's writing dialogue and right. it doesn't always gel. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. And it probably uh, varied on a case by case, issue by issue basis. Mm-hmm. So, like, 
how busy he was or not busy. Right. Yeah. There's really no way to know on any particular but, issue who did what. We recently were talking about how, like, it's funny that Peter is now kind of cool. And by kind of, I mean, has a lot of ladies interested in him that are horribly pretty and stuff like that. Um, whereas in high school, he was, you know, had a rough time. And I think we talked about how, like, well, that's because high school life and college life could be completely different things for a smart person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also interesting that that happened around the switch from Ditko to Ramita. So it's like kind of good timing, like a whole new. There's the Ditko high school life and then the Ramita college life. Oh, yeah. So, like, there is in-story so in reason that. why there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And a non-in-story reason difference, baby. <laughs> uh, Scott goes on to say, incidentally, on the subject of whether Ramita tried to imitate Ditko's art style when he was starting out, about the time that the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie came out, there was a DVD released that had Stanley being interviewed by Kevin Smith about the history of Spidey. In that interview, Stan claimed that he, Stan, asked Ramita to try to draw like Ditko for the first few issues, but just to, you know, just to ease the transition for the readers. So there's one more person claiming that Ramita imitated Ditko's style at first. It seems to be something that's widely believed, even though it didn't really happen. That is the history of Marvel right there. Right. Yeah. It was sad listening to your episode about the origin of the Black Panther the week after Chadwick Boseman passed away. Wow. Did we do that on accident? That was a complete accident. Nothing's ever timed. Um, Although, of course, you could have known about that when you were recording. Still, this issue did a good job launching the Panther, who we know is going to become a major player in Marvel over the next few years. As a recording, he's coming into um, a Captain America story, which I'm pretty sure is going to lead to him coming into the Avengers. So, yeah, Yeah. big deal with Black Panther. Um, Mike noted that Vibranium's only property in this story is its ability to absorb vibrations. And wondered about when it becomes indestructible as well. I don't know this for sure, not having read every Marvel comic ever published. What? Why are we even listening to you, Scott? Ah, But my impression has always been that Vibranium being indestructible is purely an MCU thing. In the comics, Cap's shield is an adamantium vibranium alloy. In the MCU, it's pure vibranium. Eh. Is that a no? Untrue. That's a no. I think it... But you can finish. I think it does have adamantium in it, doesn't it? No. No? But that's that's not what I was aiming, but that's also wrong. Okay. I've always assumed that because Adamantium is so strongly associated with Wolverine, it was one of the things that 20th Century Fox got when they brought the rights to the X-Men. That would mean that Disney wouldn't be able to use it in the MCU, which would explain why they have the shield as vibranium alone. That's my theory anyway, and I think it makes sense. Well done as usual. Looking forward to the next episode. Why are you aiming, Scott? Okay. Captain America's shield is made of vibranium and a mysterious alloy. Uh, they don't know what it was. And then the guy who mysteriously accidentally made it spent his life trying to recreate it, and that's where adamantium comes from. So I guess you could argue that that's adamantium, but it's not, because adamantium didn't exist when they made Cap Shield. Adamantium is an attempt to recreate what he did with Cap Shield. Um, and second, there's definitely hard, unbreakable vibranium, because during that time period where he became the captain, um, um, Black Panther ultimately gifted him a vibranium shield to use because his shield was taken by the government. It does stand to reason that being able to absorb kinetic energy and absorb vibration without reacting to it would make you pretty darn hard to hurt. Right. And it would make it hard to break, too, if it just absorbs all impact. Right. Which is what we see happening in the MCU. Remember that time when Thor literally tried to kill Captain America with his hammer? In the forest, and the only thing that saved his life was the fact that he had his shield up. 
And then the shield like exploded the forest somehow. Yeah. yeah well, it would have been Steve's head getting exploded. <laughs> yeah, Thor wasn't a very nice guy at that no, point. It's a cool shot. But when you think about what's really happening there, oh my gosh, Thor, uh-huh. what are you doing? Right. Eat a freaking Snickers, boy. Um, okay. So that answers some some vibranium adamantium questions. I I, I always thought But then of course in the future they always they do do the whole shorthand vibranium adamantium alloy. But I'm pretty sure the origin is that it was a vibranium, we don't know what it is, alloy. Mm-hmm. And then adamantium was an attempt to replicate that. So technically, how could adamantium be in a shield if it didn't even exist? Although you could, again, argue, well, I don't know. What do you want to argue? Who cares? But, yeah, those handbooks just screw everything up all the time. Yeah, so we, we're going to meet adamantium pretty soon. And I feel like mm-hmm. when we first see it, it's like a brand new invention. Because you have to have the adamantium molding machine in order to even shape it because it's indestructible and honestly i think all that cap's origin of his shield that i just spouted out incoherently Mm -hmm. is like doesn't happen till the 80s Mm. so like they don't even explain his like we just barely got an explanation that his shield is indestructible recently yeah very late in suspense and then it takes them two more decades for them to realize hey we've never explained why it's unique unless it happens some other time in between there that i'm not aware of but um what's next What's next? Tim Price. I have Tim Price, the claw. Yes. Is that what you got? Yes. Or September 7th? As a math major back in the day, I approve of calling this episode five cubed. Nicely done, John. Thank you, Tim. Guys are so nerdy. Strange (laughs) Tales number 147. Yes. Loved Nick, Dum Dum, and Jasper beating up Aimster themselves. Slash themselves. But man, what bit with the woman, that bit with the woman agent. Cringing as loud as I can. More than enough said. Oh, that was the one where like she's in the barbershop and Dum Dum like hits on her and stuff. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Strange versus Money. I was not expecting that and totally dug it. Yeah, we did too. Wait, 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 pause. Uh huh. Dum Dum's hitting on her. He has a wife because he has a mother-in-law. Was Dum Dum hitting on her? Or was he telling Jasper? Oh, he was telling Jasper to go after her. That's what it was. And she was kind of into it. No, because somebody tried to kiss her and she like fought back and we thought it was assault. And but Jasper's like, they wish you were the one going after her instead. Right, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they didn't she didn't want the old walrus hit on her, but Jasper would have been fine. He went back to Boston to visit his family. Where's his wife? I don't know. Where's your wife, doctor? With maybe with the mailman or something. I don't that know. There's a Star Trek difference. Oh, uh, Dr. Strange. We've movie. had that. We've had that with Spider-Man. A plenty of fantastic for an occasion. I saw the parallels between the FF almost evicted from the Baxter building and Strange's housing problems here. But for Strange to go through this is great because he does seem like he should be above it. Hope it'll be a continuing thing. It won't. <laughs> he magics money. But I'm stunned that Strange rents the Sanctum Sanctorium. His decorating choices have got to violate the rental agreement. What is this? A portal to a purple dimension? That's got to go. And what about whenever Umar just like is, crumples it and then vanishes it into nothing? Like, is that going to mess up his lease? Is that even his place or is it the ancient ones? Oh. The ancient one lived in, in China, I think. I don't Tibet. know. Tibet, yeah. The Avengers number 30, Wanda and Pietro going home to restore their powers. The main example I think of... Similar to this is Snowbird of Alpha Flight. When she crosses the border of Canada, she starts aging at a rapid rate. Really extreme version of a geographical link for a hero's powers. Uh, Captain Britain, also. Yeah. This is me. I think the same thing. Also, 
was also, at one point anyway, linked to Britain for his powers to work. At least in Excalibur. Maybe they retconned that. I don't know. Fantastic Four 53. I do remember a sentiment that Ben started to dominate the stories. This could be an early example of that. And when it's done with humor, he's great. This was not great. I don't was remember 53. He was, all, he was like jealous and fighting the Silver Surfer. Oh, could Maybe. be. Could be, yeah. Uh, yeah, not positive, but I think the retcon of the Black Panther being a legacy mantle will come around when he starts getting solo stories. Fingers crossed this show reaches those. Of course, I'll probably be in a nursing home by then, but that'll be great. That'll be a great way to pass the time. Yeah, if you were 12 in the 70s, you're not going to make it to this. Fantastic 453 was the way it began. It was talking about the history of Wakanda and Claw and everything. And I think Ben was making lots of racist comments. Yes. Yes, that one. He was that was a period of Ben that was not so great. Between that and him being all super jealous of Silver Surfer and Alicia picking a fight and all that. Yeah. yeah. I first met Claw around about 100 issues from now. Secret Wars was where I know him best and that Cap Shield story was Crazy Town, but I loved Wade's run so much that I just went with it. It really was Crazy what Town. Is- it was one of those like uh have you read that? I haven't. It was it was a story arc where like the shield just crumbles. And I don't even remember what the heck the science reason was. And it was one of those stories where we're just like, okay, can we just get through three, these three issues for him to get his stupid shield back? You know, <laughs> um, he had a, he, he used like a triangle shield for those three issues just to be like, whoa, crazy. Um, but yeah, it got restored. Amazing Spider-Man 39. Wow. Ramita's first issue. Never read it before. Love, love, love. Gotta say, I think I'm more of a Ditko guy, but there's no denying Ramita made Spidey his own quickly, and it's good stuff. I smell a pull coming on, because mm. we've got some people back and forth on this one. Are you a Spidey Ramita fan or a Spidey Ditko fan? I think we should just say Ditko, Ramita, and not even say, and then see who clicks what. Okay. Anyway. Interesting comment, Mike, about Ron Friends being Ramita-inspired. I would agree his Peter and Cass are very Ramita, but looking at his Spidey, I'd say Friends' Friends's inkers would dictate the that his look – I don't know. I think the V is just misplaced. Would dictate his look more. Would dictate his look more. Joseph Rubenstein made him look very Ditko while Brett breeding Channel of Ramita look. Oh, don't worry. I'm not smart enough to just know this. I consulted the comic covers on Mike's Amazing World. Also, Friends is very good at looking like Kirby. So I think he just has a classic – Style, I think he maybe. also looks like Sal Buscema a lot. And that too. And Sal Buscema looks like a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. So it's just got that dynamic, big fist in your face kind of vibe. Uh, until next time, or until Claw teams up with the Molecule Man's wand, forming the Axemen, short for Accessory Men. Sounds like X Me. You get it. Make mine, make ours Marvel. <laughs> I totally don't get it. Claw teams up with the Molecule Man's wand. Okay. Making the accessory men. Okay. He has the, he has the sound he thing on his, up. You think he made that one up? I think he made that one up. Okay. X-Men, X-Men. Okay. All righty. Um, so moving right along, and I've got to change the page here to get, okay, so we've got September 13th over there. We've got September 10th. Tony. Yep. Tony's all Tony. caught up. Tony says, dear mom. Oh, hey. it's been so long, Tony. Oh. Never write anymore. Because, you know, mom. I get <laughs> Call it. every week, son. <laughs> I raised you. I, wow, I've been reading along and finally caught up with your pod, episode 125. Love the show. Thank you. I was already messing around with the Silver Age via Marvel Unlimited and my books, but I wouldn't be doing the comprehensive read-through without you. Now is such a completist. I even saw Barbarella. Yes! Yay! Barbarella needs to be seen more. Flash Gordon, not so much, but Barbarella <laughs> needs to be seen more. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> 
Scratch that, reverse it. <laughs> so far, the comics have been getting better and better. I mostly agree with you two, though. I like FF less and Ditko's Strange more than you do. Spider-Man I've read before, and it remains the best. On that note, I do recommend Untold Tales. That was the book I collected as a kid. And it goes, it does write by Classic Spidey. As far as in-between continuity, I prefer it to Earth's Mightiest and Learning to Crawl, which was the slot decimal issues. Is that like the point one, point two, point three that Marvel's done recently? Well, maybe that could be, well, we've already talked about anniversary ideas, but. That's another option. Yeah. Untold Tales, maybe. I don't know how long it it's lasts. It's 25 but. issues. It's pretty big. Oh, we, that'd be really hard to cover in one show. But. Yeah. We do have plans for 200, though, y'all. Yeah. Instead of being set back from the present and sliding time as those are, it is set in the 60s and has some retro flavor so that it can be interleaved with the old stuff. Um, I think he's still talking about Untold Tales. It's like it's set in the 60s. It acknowledges the 60s. For me, that's a good thing. People don't all of a sudden have cell phones and then revert back to the space race a day later. Now that I'm brushed up on all the Silver Age continuity, I need to return to it and see what I missed. Keep it coming. I hope you're still there listening. There was also to recently like a uh, like a decade Spider-Man book or something that came out, wasn't it? Yes, there? I was thinking the same thing. I can't remember what it was called. Is it the history of Spider-Man or something? Something like like every issue was a different decade. Mm-hmm. And he was and he actually ages or something. I want to go back and read that because I read most of the uh the X-Men. There's a three issue X-Men thing done by Piscor. And now I can't remember the name of it. But yeah, hmm. I want to read I want to read that Spider-Man one too. Um that was short. Should I do the next one? Sure. What is the next one? September 12th, John Morrissey? Yep. Mailbag number one, a.k.a. the Tim Price Show. <laughs> Those are John's words, Tim, not ours. <laughs> Dear Mavens of Marvelous Masterworks, thanks so much for another episode, one that taught me so much as usual. What did I learn? I learned that Tim Price is a much better fan than I and that he is much more loyal and dedicated to your wonderful show. Thank you, Mr. Price. I am now inspired by you to step it up and interact with Michael and John much more often. What else did I learn? I learned that John and Michael are frauds. (gasps) Rude. They both claim to be fans of Marvel Comics, yet they both think that the Jack Kirby created Devil Dinosaur is a DC character. It's not. Oh, wait, you know what? I know that it's not because Marvel recently did Moon Girl and the Devil Dinosaur, and I should have known that. Uh-huh. Oh, how the mighty have fallen, John says. And they clearly had no knowledge of Lunella Lafayette, a.k.a. Moon Girl, the smartest character in the Marvel Universe, who just wrapped up a delightful 47-issue run with Devil Dinosaur about a year ago. Seriously, every young girl should be encouraged to read this title. Unless they make a movie out of it. I don't really know anything about this stuff. So Yeah, mar- mar- modern Marvel is... is I ha- I do see headlines. I do see covers a lot of the time. I knew about this series. I didn't know when a full 47 issues. That's pretty great. In addition, you guys also forgot a very, very recent giant man named Raz Malotra. When you say that nobody had used that moniker in years, see several titles from 2016 to 2019, such as Astonishing Ant-Man, Secret Empire, and his own title. You know what, John? You apparently forgot 20 others, too, because somebody else already wrote in and said there was 20 more people who used Giant Man. And in your letter, you're only talking about one guy. So, ha. (laughs) Burn. As penance for the above oversights, I suggest doing three push-ups each. Go ahead. I'll wait. You're going to be waiting for a while. (laughs) Yeah. On second thought, given that I've now taught you two things, whereas you teach me 17 things on average each episode, I guess I should start my own set of push-ups now. So, until Willie Lumpkin deserves more emails, delivers more emails from me than Tim Price, make ours Marvel. 
That's fun. Why would anybody go from Goliath back to Giant Man? That's just this. Is, it is weird, right? Clearly, like, clearly, Goliath is the superior name. Like once you've established Goliath, like why downgrade? Right. I always like Giant Man, though. Uh, I feel like he should be a, a, a military person. G.I. Ant Man. Ah, G.I. Ant Man. Yeah. That would actually work because he liked to waffle between the two anyway. Right. Uh, you've got what is it? John Morrissey. John Romita is not flawless. September 12th, dear deliverer, deliverers of depressing documentation, I am crushed, as stated in previous submissions. John Romita, the elder of my favorite, is my favorite artist of all time, and I have placed him on an artistic pedestal that is so high that I suspected that he is suffering asphyxiation due to the lower partial pressure of oxygen as, at such high altitudes. How did this happen? It happened when you made me reread Daredevil number 19 as part of my homework for episode 126. Although I never noticed this error in previous readings, and you guys didn't mention it, John Romita made an error. To refresh your memory from 15 months ago, forgive me, but I assume that you're still way behind in your mailbag episodes. 15 months is probably generous, actually. Daredevil number 19 is the last issue of the Foggy Nelson Pretends to be Daredevil saga. On page 4, panel 1, Daredevil arrives at the apartment or office, it's not clear, of Foggy Nelson to make sure that he's okay because the Gladiator and other villains are sure to be after Foggy, thinking that he is Daredevil. Foggy sees Dee Dee arrive outside his window and asks, Daredevil, what, what are you doing out there on the ledge? Daredevil replies, hanging on for dear life. Open up and let me in, unless you want to take my place permanently. Foggy opens the window, lets Daredevil in, and then Daredevil explains to Foggy that he is a bonehead and that his life is now in danger and that he needs to lock his door and stay put while Daredevil goes out and catches the gladiator. At this point, see page eight, panel two, Daredevil leaves through the window that he previously entered, but the window is shattered. My hero, John Romita, forgot that Didi didn't break the window on his way in. How embarrassing. I agree. Like, John Romita's a hack, obviously. I think that when nobody was looking, he totally threw a rock at Foggy's window yeah. for no reason. Yeah. Because Daredevil's a well, jerk. let's see. Here's some headcanon option. Headcanon time. Later in this issue, see page 13, panel 5, Daredevil bursts through Foggy's window to save him from the thugs who are there to hurt Foggy. Could art editor Stanley have cut and pasted panel art in an effort to make the story flow better and didn't notice whether the window <sighs> was busted or not? Rearrange the pages? Rude. I know I'm grasping at straws in an effort to maintain my view that John Romita is flawless. Sigh. So until Kurt Busiek retcons this inexplicably shattered window... <laughs> Hey, Cars Marvel. Kurt Music has a lot to do. Yeah. Because we're always throwing this stuff at him. We got, we got a long list of jobs for, for Busiek. I'm sure that's way higher on his list, too. Mysterious <laughs> broken window. Tim Price, episode 126, The Strange Tales Super Squad. I like, yep. I like my titles. Mm-hmm. Daredevil 19, Foggy still pretending to be Daredevil. I agree this is poking a little fun at the Silver Age trope of the girlfriend trying to prove the hero's secret identity. Usually this would get resolved at the end of each issue, but getting drawn out is pretty wild. It reminds me of a story I'd re- heard about but not read. How Jordan's brother's girlfriend thought Hal's brother was Green Lantern, so she Lois lamed him. And Hal ended up having to save her repeatedly. But also it sounded like GL did a terrible job at convincing her that he wasn't Hal's brother, which should have been easy as, you know, he wasn't. Oh, Hal. <laughs> I've read some of those. Yeah, it's like every issue ends with her convinced that he's Green Lantern. He's like, I, I, I'm just not Green Lantern. Stop. <laughs> uh, Tales of Astonish 83. Namor fighty fight with Krang. It was some cool fighty fight, but that's all I have. Except that Namor is such a jerky jerk by not trying to listen to Dormy Dorma. 
Hulk and Secret Empire shenanigans. Do none of the numbers have a sense of self-preservation? Wait, you kill each other to advance. Oh, wait, no, that's not him. Wait, you kill each other to advance? Yeah, that's okay. I'll go back to working at Waffle House. Bye. <laughs> that's true of any evil organization. Right. The boss just kills you if you make a mistake. I think I'm not going to work here anymore. And if you decide to live in the mirror universe on Star Trek? Mm, yeah. Wait, is Boomerang wearing a boomerang on the front of his pants? My eyes. I could swear that's what I saw, but I'm too terrified to go back and confirm. Leads to jokes that are not family friendly. <laughs> the X-Men 23, Count Nefaria. More like Count Nefari yuck. Am I right? Am I right? I can do bits. Not well, but I can do them. Certainly. That's inter- true. Yes. <laughs> I like it. Certainly an interesting thought that rather than anti-mutant hysteria, what really was depicted here is anti-X-Men. Pretending to work with the bad guys, a trope that normally would be resolved in a single issue with medals being handed to the clever heroes at the end. But instead, since they don't have PR like the FF or Avengers, the public just sees two X-Men robbing banks, Blob and Unis, and the main team threatened to kill the U.S. capital city. Suddenly, the notion that people didn't know if the X-Men are heroes or villains by the 70s makes sense. I didn't understand it before, but now I do. Crazy. All because of Count Nefaria. Right? Stupid blob and Unis. Mm. The Strange Tales Squatties. <laughs> Squatties. Superhero Squad. Totally could be an animated series. I hear lots of sad trombone sounds at the end of each episode. Or like that little uh, Star Trek. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Thor 131. The Colonizers. I know of them, but have read almost nothing with them. Except for the humanoid recorders they build and send all over the universe. How long until we see them, I wonder? I thought we... I believe the colonizers are also the evil alien race in Gold Key Star Trek number 65. Oh, possibly. Possibly. I just made that up. But it sounds like... It does sound like a Gold Key Star Trek. (laughs) The colonizers. I think we've already seen a recorder. Maybe not in this issue that he's talking about, but later in the story. Um, I'm... Hercules series I mentioned that I'm reading has a recorder in it. He accompanies Hercules. Mm. When I read Tana Nile, I think of Tana Moon, the 90s Superboy's reporter Mm. girlfriend. I remember that. Yes. That thing, that lady, kind of. She's Hawaiian, I believe. Mm -hmm. Since Superboy's series had a bunch of Kirby influences, maybe Moon's name is an homage to Niles. I like that idea. Could be. From the depths of the 24th Quadrant. Remember whenever the scrolls were from the fifth quadrant of the Andromeda galaxy? Mm-hmm. And we didn't even pick out the 24th quadrant? No, because by then, we've it's it's all been oversaturated anyway. Yeah. Tim says, yes, that is what's said in this issue. My math major sense is tingling. How did Volstagg get into that barrel? Thor looks weird with brown hair. Yes and yes. <laughs> Thanks for another <laughs> fun episode, guys. Until next time, or until Volstagg shows off his finishing move, sitting on someone's foot. Make mine make ours marvel. Is that in Mortal Kombat? That sounds like it. Finish up! Um, website comments skip to the 22nd. I have a September 15th. Email? Okay, good, good. Uh, I think it's a website comment, but I don't know. Is a Hulk, Hulk makes a cave? Yeah. Dear Harbingers of Hulk's Heroism, after reading about Hulk digging a cave out of the side of a cliff to protect Betty from the rain in Tales of Suspense 83, you guys speculated that this may have informed the rainy cave scene in 2008's The Incredible Hulk starring Edward Norton. Truth is, the cave sequence in the film is a direct nod to a scene in the limited series Hulk, Hulk Gray, sorry, by Jeff Loeb, 
who would go on to be a big part of Marvel Television and Tim Sale that was first published in 2003. Yes, but they were informed by Tales of Suspense 83, so so I think we're still on point. Um, I like that idea. Hulk and an injured Betty spend nearly all of issue five in a rainy cave, and Hulk even shouts at the lightning on page 13 of this issue, just as he does in the movie. That said, after reading Tales of Suspense 83 as part of my homework for episode 126, I couldn't help but wonder if its cave scene informed, dang it, <laughs> Robin Sales' cave scene, which in turn informed the film's cave scene. In fact, perhaps there are five or six sequentially sequential cave scenes over the years that culminated in this with the scene in the film in 2008. I guess we'll find out more as Megas Marvel's plows through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. No negative way, boys. It's going to happen. Maybe Hulk and Betty in a cave is just a thing. You know. Although that, that 2003 story sounds like it was a very literal. I do uh, like Hulk and Betty in a cave. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just that idea of, like, him rescuing her and, like, retreating and finding some place to keep her safe. And he finds mm-hmm. a random cave. I just, that's mm-hmm. a really cool aesthetic. It's very King Kongy. Mm-hmm. It is King Kongy. Uh, so until we read 2003's comic together, including Hulk Gray, make mine, make ours Marvel. We'll be old and gray by then. <laughs> oh my God, we would we'd be so dead by 2003. Um. Okay. So thank you, thank you, John. Next email is from Scott McFadden, episode 126 on September 15th. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, just some brief thoughts. Hi, Michael and John. I don't have much to say about this episode, but don't think that means I didn't enjoy it. I will, Scott. I will fear that every time you don't write. <laughs> and maybe you didn't like it. <laughs> I just want to drop you a brief line to let you know that your description of all the empty stitch marks on Boomerang's costume, from where he has removed the little discs he uses as weapons, made me realize something I'd never really thought about before. So, not only... Sorry, I've read ahead the sentence. Not only does Boomerang not use a boomerang as his weapon, but the throwing discs that he does use don't even come back to him when he throws them. They just have no resemblance to a boomerang at all. He really is the worst made villain ever. He just had to grow into it. I guess. I guess. It does seem really weird. It's so bizarre. You mentioned a little while ago that when you started this podcast, you never thought you would get to the point where Ditko left, and now it's here, and you're still going strong. You realize what the next big milestone is, don't you? (gasps) Kirby leaving for DC in 1970. Do you think you'll get there? You can do it. I have faith in you. We might get there, but will we keep going? (laughs) Yeah. Um, We are are honestly at the point where we're projecting possible endpoints. Yeah. Or at least points where we're going to sit down and say, okay, do we really want to keep doing this now that we've gotten here? Yeah. So we'll see mm-hmm. how it goes. But there are ways down the road, though. Don't start freaking out. They're, 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 they're yeah. far down the road. Right. 1968, January. <laughs> Farther than that. Oh. Uh, Murray Jackson? Murray Jackson. Thoughts listening to Mailbag 11. Ooh, we don't usually get letters about mailbags. That's so, uh, what is that word? Meta? Meta. Yeah. Hank is chosen as the 616 Universe's Scientist Supreme by Eternity. Whoa. Okay. So who's that guy that we're fighting right now? Yeah, because I thought Yandroth is the Scientist Supreme. Well, maybe only according to Yandroth. Um, the best Pop-Tart is un- 
Wow, were we talking about Pop-Tarts? We were. Okay. The best Pop-Tart is unfrosted fruit filled with yellow mustard smeared on the outside. What the hell are you talking about? Uh. That was my little interjection because I couldn't stop myself. Uh, I know you are saying how gross that is, but it is much better than you think. Everyone I get to try it actually likes it. You know what, buddy? I am going to try it because I am that kind of person. I, I think I'll I will try, try it, too. it. So here's the thing. This reminds me. This has the same energy as peanut butter and pickle sandwiches. Yeah, and I put ketchup in my tacos, and, you know, everybody's got their thing. So, so. just so you know, peanut butter on one bread, mayonnaise on the other bread, and pickle slices. It's a great summer snack because it helps replenish your salts, and it's actually a pretty tasty combination. All right. So far in your reading – what do you think is most powerful, flames, magnets, or transistors? Oh, my gosh. There's a comic title. Yeah. Um, well, flames run out, transistors run out, magnets don't seem to run out. So there you go. I think you can do more with magnetism, but transistors is a pretty good second. And flames. Well, Magneto can project his astral form with magnetism. So apparently you can just do whatever you want with magnetism. So I'll say magnetism. Um not sure how much extra work it would be to create new podcasts out of existing material, but I would re-listen to your old shows if you would re-edit them by book. For example, Make Ours Marvel Spider-Man would just take your existing Spider-Man commentary and have it as its own show. Release them once every third month or one book every month so you couldn't catch up to your current shows. We would never do that. That's such a crazy idea, Murray. How would you ever think of such things? That, that's like a big epic confusion oh, there. Yeah. Until the scroll cows are turned into hamburgers, make mine, make ours marble. So for the record, that if you're new happen. to the show, every month or close to every month, we do we have started just recently releasing uh, Just What Murray Says, collections of our series by book. Are we doing that because of Murray Jackson or is that just that is a, It is a coincidence. coincidence. It is, is not uh, – okay. I'm happy that Murray was wanting it before it ha- occurred to me, but I'm doing it completely inspired by the epic collections I've read. Okay. Okay. Um, your podcast is now on Amazon Music. Uh, I don't need to read that. Um, okay, I've got one from Jerry O'Keefe. Yeah. From the 20th. All right. Message. Uh, hi, guys. Just a line to say I love your show. I'm way behind at the moment, episode 52, but that only means I have a lot more joy to come, and I'm savoring every episode. Keep up the marvelous work until Spider-Woman reverts to her original and best costume, Make Ours Marvel. I'm glad you're saying so the best. Why would you quit if she returns to the costume that's your favorite? Right. That, 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 that doesn't. <laughs> but I'm here for it. I like that costume. Yeah. That was short. Yeah. Should I take the next one? Okay. John Morrissey, your wish is my command. Greetings, gregarious guys. You know the thing about that Spider Woman costume? Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it just occurred to me. Not just occurred to me. I was talking about this the other day. Like, remember that Spider Woman that was the black costume? Uh-huh. You know how Spider Man is like, everybody loves that black costume? She did it first. And he modeled it after her. No one ever talks about that. Yeah, it is a little bit weird. It's also a weird chronological thing, right? Because he appears in Spider-Man in the black costume. But then she uh-huh. appears in Secret Wars in the black costume. But yeah. the Secret Wars takes place before Spider-Man's. And then he's like, huh, I guess this alien, this this, this costume machine modeled my costume after hers. Yep. I need to read so more. Everybody's all like, "Oh, Spider Man, you look so cool in your black costume." He's like, he ripped it off. Julia Carpenter's over there, like, stupid son of a. I know, right? I always thought she was cool, but I don't know what happened to her. I like her too. Her psionic webbing, mm-hmm. and she has a kid. You don't have a whole lot of kids mm-hmm. in comics. In a recent yeah. episode, Michael suggested that a listener might step up and report the goings ons 
Is that English? In the letters pages of the Marvel mags that we're reading for Makar's Marvel, and so I decided to answer your clarion call. After all, in a few episodes, we'll be learning how Marvel them assembled felt about the departure of Steve Ditko. Henceforth, I shall dub myself Mom's Correspondent of Correspondence. For my first missive, I offer the following comments published in the issues that we're reading for episode 127. Item. Praise is arriving for the instant classic Fantastic 451, The Man That's Monster. Although many have commented, few are more eloquent than Russell Bullock Jr. of Pembroke, Massachusetts. Needless to say, FF51 was great. Mr. Fantastic makes no attempt to stretch. Sue didn't have any need to turn invisible. Ben was not the thing for most of the tale, and the only items that Johnny allowed to flare up were his thumb and his temper. This shows that a comic doesn't have to be plastered with action to be great. That's a fantastic point. Superhero issues that don't do superheroing are a treat, usually. Very. Item to be filed under beauty is in the eye of the beholder. We turn to Mark Campbell writing from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man 36 mag was the best ever produced. It not only featured Spidey his suspenseful adventures, action-packed moment of glory, but also had the infamous and mischievous looter. The looter's costume was one that made my eyes pop out. Okay, Mark. Really? Okay, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, you just, um, you enjoyed being in the 60s. Item, to show that Mr. Campbell sometimes agrees with you, here is another letter that he had published this month, i.e. he is nearly as prolific as our own Tim Price. X-Men 20 and 21 proved to be very exciting in every possible way. I thought, however, that there had been too many thought balloons and bubbles. To which Stan replies, Rest assured, Frantic One will keep close tabs on all our thought bubbles in the future. In fact, that would be a good job for Honest Irving. We can make him a thought bubble counter. The only thing is, what do we do with all the thought bubbles we save by cutting down on them? Do you know of a good wholesale outlet? That is interesting because, yeah, it's really wordy. And we've noticed that too. So I'm glad people back in the day were also like, come on already. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, and that's Roy Thomas cutting his teeth on X-Men is just like throwing, throwing so many words on every panel. Mm-hmm. Ida, Michael will agree with the sentiments of Greg P. Lasser, writing from Tachikawa Air Force Base in Japan. I just finished your latest ish about the Molten Man Regrets. Come on, gang. You can do better than that. <laughs> I don't think either one of us liked the Molten Man, did we? I, I like the Molten Man. I did not like that issue. <laughs> no. In closing, but, yeah, go ahead. wouldn't it be great if one of these letter writers was a listener of Mom, and they wrote into your show to say, hey... I remember writing to Marvel back in the day. They'd be in their 60s or 70s these days, but I know they're still out there. I am actually Facebook friends with one or two 60s letter hacks. Really? Yeah. Um, I don't want to name names on the show because their, you know, personal life is their business, but yeah. And the friends are, the friendships are casual, but they're also sweet. And uh, I like having them. I would love for Mark Campbell to write in and tell us why the looter is his favorite character. Mark Hamill. Mark Campbell. Campbell. Isn't that yeah, it name? is Campbell. Yeah. I just heard it as Campbell and I was like, yeah. Mark, okay, if Mark Hamill wants to write it and talk about the looter, I'm totally down with <laughs> if that. If Mark too. Hamill wants to write it and talk about what he had for lunch Anything. today, that'd be great. Right. So until someone writes a letter to Marvel about me writing you a letter about letters that were written to Marvel, <laughs> make mine the cars Marvel. <laughs> okay, I got uh, September 20th, D-Day. Mm-hmm. Scott McFadden. Wow, an unprecedented five issues in this episode. Not anymore. At this rate, you should reach present-day Marvel in no time. <laughs> I suppose it probably helped that two of them were Sergeant Fury stories, which can be quickly summarized with, and then they fought for about half the issue. Not anymore. They've gotten better about it. On, on multiple counts. Now we do five all the time, and 
Sergeant Fury is trying to break their own mold. So it's been cool. Speaking of Sergeant Fury, you both mentioned knowing that D-Day mostly through the you you both mentioned knowing about D-Day mostly through the opening of Saving Private Ryan. If you would like to know more about D-Day, let me recommend a movie from 1962 called The Longest Day, which is a dramatization of the Normandy 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 invasion on a much broader scale. It doesn't have quite the intensity of Saving Private Ryan being from an earlier period in Hollywood history, but it does show the whole story of that day and just what a massive effort it was. And it only portrays real people. So it doesn't have the problem you mentioned of a fic- fictional character being the one to lead the charge. That is a really interesting recommendation. I would have to make note of that one. You know what else I watched recently? Dunkirk was really good. Mm. I'm a little behind on that. And then while I was at it, I was just in a World War movie thing. I watched 1917, and that was really good. Wasn't Dunkirk a, a Nolan film? Yes, it was. Yes. And it was quite something. Um, I almost, not to be blasphemous, but like I kind of feel like his non-Batman stuff is better. Yeah, I anyway. like Nolan films. Uh, the Red Skull and the Costume Cube, Cosmic Cube, is another story that I remember from the old Marvel superheroes cartoons. It's funny that as a kid, I never really thought much about how the skull just talked about what he was going to do rather than going ahead and doing it. I suppose it's hard to write about an omnipotent villain, especially the way that comics were written in the 60s. These days, as you said, you could do a year-long story with an all-powerful Red Skull ruling over a reshaped Earth. I doubt that it ever occurred to Stanley to even attempt something like but that. But they did it five years ago, or however long ago. And Mark Wade did it, too. Oh, did he? Yeah. I don't think it was a year. No, but it extended. Was extended, yeah. Looking forward to the next episode, if I remember my Marvel history right, some interesting things should be coming up in the next few months. I'm curious about which interesting things he's thinking about. Uh, Spider-Man No More. Oh, yeah. That's Maybe. True. I don't know. I'm trying to think of some milestones we've hit. but All right. On September 22nd, we received an iTunes review. Oh, cool. From Paul NSJ. Great podcast for Marvel fans. Five stars. Found this podcast after starting my quest to read Marvel comics from FF number one. Was into mid-65 when I found this and I'm listening to the episodes for the earlier issues I've read. Very entertaining. Respectful of the issues and the era they're from. Great job, guys. Awesome. We always forget to plug the whole, like, leave us an iTunes review thing, but it's always appreciated. Yeah, definitely appreciate iTunes all Leave us an iTunes thing. Yeah. Um, I'll go ahead and read Tim Price's missive from the 22nd. Mm-hmm. Two Sergeant, two Furious. Sergeant Fury, king size number two. Wait, it's pronounced D-Day, not the day as in, this is the day, you mugs. Gosh, that puts a different spin on things. And yes, I'm kidding. <laughs> Please address all letters to Tim Price. Right. No. <laughs> Tales of Suspense 81. Tony goes to Washington. If I'm mathing right, Iron Man can fly around the speed of sound. That's pretty freaking fast for two little boots. I gotta get me some transistors. It's all about the transistors. Yep. Those and some magnets will get you anywhere. And fire. And Tony is still such a great friend. Thank goodness Happy still has that irreversible brain damage, so he can't reveal my secret identity. Well, better go to D.C. and let the government in on it. Bad Tony. <sighs> what friends? He has no friends. They've all left him. The friends, have they've all gone, and he doesn't care, and none, none of us do, I guess. Mm-mm. Cat versus Red Skull with Cosmic Cube. Skull is really not good at the omnipotent thing. I like how you to another dimension very slowly. And let you continue to talk to me. No, wait. I'll let one of the greatest fighters in the world stand really close to me while I hold my ultimate weapon. 
I'm here, just holding it. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah, he likes to brag. Strange, you caught me monologuing. Strange tells 148, shield versus aim, or them. I really like Fury and said, well, faking out Count Royale. Wow, that name's not on the nose, is it? And the issue starting with the LMD switcheroo, that's what LMDs should be used for. Yes, that's the reasons for LMDs. Yes. So standing in for Fury while he goes and like, well, I guess he was seeking out the scroll invasion, but still. Um, okay, I'm totally confused about them not being AIM. Why do you keep asking about that? Who do you suppose them is? My only guess is not very cleverly hidden in the previous questions. That it's the same thing. Well, I think uh, we found that they were like one was a, one was a branch of the other. Like one of them was yeah. an umbrella term. I think them was an umbrella term and then AIM. Yes, because, um, Strucker said that, right? He's yeah, like, I think so. Instead of being in the background running the mysterious them, I'm going to come into the foreground and take my rightful place as head of Hydra. So them was Hydra, not AIM. Right. Right. Okay. Doctor Strange and the Ancient One's college roommate. I mean, Kalu. More like Kahu, am I right? Wait, I'm starting to think he says that every Yeah, letter. he says apologies if I said that before. Wait, no, I don't. It's my bit. I think apologizing for saying things is your bit. <laughs> yeah. The Avengers 31, the Keeper of the Flame. I'm sorry, I can't muster much enthusiasm for this story. The one thing I liked was a sad trombone moment at the end with, I know, who can help you, Goliath? Henry Pym. It's a funny, not funny bit, cementing that no easy solution for Hank's problem is coming. Mm. They, they. He, what was the solution for that problem? He figured it out. <laughs> he just figured yeah, it out. He, yeah, he signed off of the off panel. He thought harder. Right. Until next time, or until the Red Skull uses the cosmic cube to make a bird into a hero, make mine, make ours, Marvel. I know what he's. Which one is that? Is that the Falcon? The Winter Soldier. The winter. A bird. <laughs> I just make that up. Uh, September twenty fourth, Anthony Butel. 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 How do you know? You know him. It's French. It could be Butelli. Oh, okay, fine. It's never been on my duel lingo. I'm pretty sure you're wrong. But anyway, when Tana Nile revealed herself, Thor 131, episode 126, you didn't say too much about the Rigelians. The internet says that they have popped up in a bunch of things I haven't read yet, but I have caught a couple of the most recent appearances. One is the animated Guardians of the Galaxy, a nice-looking cartoon based on the movie team. We get to see little bits of Rigelian society. They are telekinetic and suppress their emotions. Since you are also Star Trek nerds, note that Jonathan Franks has a role on this series as Star-Lord's father, Jason, not Ego. I didn't even know that Guardians of the Galaxy had a cartoon. It's, so. it's a pretty great little cartoon. It started um, around the same time that the Avengers Assemble thing started and Hulk Agents of Smash. Um, they had those three what? cartoons. Never heard of that one either. Hulk and the Agents of Smash? Uh, no. Yeah, it has Red She-Hulk and A-Bomb and... What the... <laughs> Oh my gosh, I am way behind on my cartoonage. I okay, guess. okay. So there's there's this little there's this little universe of Marvel animation right now that has Avengers mm. Assemble, uh, Hulk and the Agents of Smash, which no longer continue, but it's still in the same universe. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and the current Marvel's Spider-Man cartoon, mm. and in a way that you don't have to watch both series to understand, the Guardians of the Galaxy and Spider-Man cartoon actually had a crossover recently. Um, involving mm. the Venom symbiotes out in space on the Guardians of the Galaxy side, which led to a story on Earth on the Spider-Man side. 
Well, I'm looking forward to you sharing the spreadsheet that has the release order of all those. I will have to draw so, one up. So that, so that I can start watching that because there's no way I'm just going to watch one and not the others. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Uh, the other place this species has come up is the intergalactic empire of Wakanda in Black Panther, which is on some COVID break but still coming out as I understand it. In that, some far-flung Rajillian empire was conquered by the Wakandans. Really? And there's a Rajillian character called Taku. Yeah, it's complicated. So they were on Earth, or Wakanda went to space? And if far-flung anyway. Rajelian Empire was conquered by the Wakandans, that is weird. Far-flung, as in they're on Earth, so that's far-flung for them. Um, and that's about all I know of Rajelians. You know more than us. This is my first time reading through this classic Thor, so I guess I'll be learning more soon. Sort of. Sort of. Thanks for the great show. They'll do more with them, Thanks I'm for sure. the great letter. Uh, we- yeah, we learned a little. We passed over a quick Tim Price comment. So I'm going to read real quick. Then we'll okay. go back to the whatever okay. emails next. Uh-huh. We know Tim wants to take over the show. No, no way. But I think you guys need a guest host to join you for episode 200. Just, you know, something to think about. Okay. We've never done that. We've though. never done that. It's worth thinking about. Um, and that takes us to, is this our last email? No, there's two more. Two more. Okay. So. So, John Morrissey, correspondence for episode 128. Okay. Felicitations, funny fellows. This is Mom's correspondent of correspondence, checking in with reader comments that caught my eye in the issues that you covered in episode 128. Remember the California Raisins? I do. There's a California Raisin episode special something, and the news broadcast was a potato. And he's like, this has been your commentator. Because he's a tater. It was funny. Correspondent of correspondence. Item, the praise for this man, this monster, and FF51 continues to pour in Jacques Boivin, Boivin, writes from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, to say, the picture of Ben standing in the rain on page one was truly a masterpiece. The story had one of the best plots ever. When I think of that story, I think of that image. Mm-hmm. Like, that's my this man, this monster image, is him standing in the rain. Mm-hmm. Jerry Mills from Harbor City, California adds, this man, this monster was a literary masterpiece and that comes nowhere near adequately describing it. And Joe Cusble from East Chicago, Indiana adds, stupendous, terrific, magnificent are only a few words which can describe FF51. It sure looks like this man, this monster was an instant classic. Yeah, apparently it's, it's, it's maintained that classic status for as long as I've been alive. Yes. Item to be filed under to each his own. Pete Marsano writes in from Cicero, Illinois, to complain about Johnny Storm entering college. As a contented high school dropout, I must strongly object to your sending Johnny Storm to college. When Johnny first appeared in FF, he was a cool, hot-rod-loving, rebellious teenager. Now you've changed him into a first-class square. I wonder what Pete Marsano's career is like these days. Wow. That's a very interesting uh, outlook. And I, I, I feel bad for what I just said, actually. In the 60s, certainly going to college was something that, like, I don't know, was becoming more optional because people were dropping out more and it was cool to drop out. But I'm just wondering Mm -hmm. if people who dropped out of high school in the 60s, how that affected their life in the 70s. Nowadays, not going to college is is a thing because of, like, the huge cost and, you know, lots of other stuff. It's interesting that going to college meant being a square, though. Yeah. Yeah, not cool to go to school. Item, and while others are writing into the spider's web about ASM issues 35 and 36, the presidential Alan Fridenthal of Bayside, New York, proposes the following wager. I'll bet you a year's supply of Brand Eck that the Green Goblin is none other than Norman Osborn. <gasps> I guess he figured it out. 
Stan's reply reads, we're sending you a special bonus, all-purpose, wash day miracle, no prize, for the writer of the first letter we've received with the correct identity of the goblin. But don't tell adorable Artie, he still thinks old Greeny was Aunt May in disguise. So mm. that's in the letters with 35 and 36, which means that 37 hadn't even come out yet. Unless maybe, unless maybe he was like the first person to write about 37. Um, mm. But definitely before the reveal. But I guess by this time in that letter column, Stan is saying, you guessed it right, in the aftermath yeah. of the reveal. But he declared this guy the first, mm-hmm. so he can live high off that for the rest of his he life. He can. Alan Fredenthal, based in New York. How's it going, man? Hey, hey, grandkids, did I ever tell you that I was the first person to ever guess the Green Goblin's real identity? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about, Grandpa? And then he ran the clone saga. Item. Another reader is as bothered by a dropped plot thread as is Mr. Kaiser. Dennis England of McKinney, Virginia, pleads with Stan to answer this question seriously if you can. When the bullet was lodged in the Hulk's brain, he had the brain of Bruce Banner. And ever after the leader, even after the letter removed it, he still had Bruce's brain. When and how did he change back? Stan's evasive reply reads, We've searched the bullpen high and low and just can't find the issue you're referring to in which the bullet is lodged in Hulky's brain. Knowing how bad our memories are, we don't dare try to answer you without rereading the yarn. So here's what we'll do. A shiny new no prize to the Marvelite who sends us the best answer to your question. You can count on me, Mom's correspondent of correspondence, to let you know if an explanation was ever provided by the very members of Marvel in a future issue. What a horrible answer. Yep. And so until Aunt May stands at the altar with Doc Ock, make mine make ours Marvel. All right. Our last one for this episode. Can I do an iTunes review real quick? Oh, you can. There's one more. So our second to the last mm-hmm. one for this episode. I Crazy Horse writes four stars. What? I'm sorry, who? I Crazy Horse. Horse? I think it's supposed to be horse, but it has Zs. So it's okay. Crazy Horse. Okay. He says, what? Four stars. What was that noise in episode 128? It was so loud. Otherwise, the episode was good. That's very specific. What was that noise in episode 128? I didn't go back and listen. I don't remember there being a loud noise in episode 128. But anyways, I have opinions about writing a review because one episode did something like totally random. And otherwise, you think the show is really good. So you dock the review. Kind of weird. Yeah, it's a little bit bit strange. But, you know, it's fine. That one time Mike... Went like that on his desk, and that whole episode's ruined. Now. The whole series is ruined now. Oh, well, the whole series, yeah, totally. There is a guy right now riding around on a skateboard with a panda head, unrelated to any of this. But I just wanted to document that because it just happened near you, <laughs> just right outside, just skated on by, and that's supposed to be normal. I was guess. the panda head like dripping blood? Was he holding it by the scruff? Or no, just a giant on his head, like oh, a mat, like okay. a. Like he's wearing a giant panda head, but otherwise he's dressed normally and skateboarding around. Okay. Don't see that every day. Nope, you don't. Okay. Last. You can tell we're getting punchy, or at least I am. I, it's weird. Like one month is not long enough. Two months is too long. We're going to have to figure out how to make a half month or something. Yep. But anyway, September 28th, Scott McFadden, Dear Michael, John, and Sarah. Oh, this is the Not Comic Special, The Incredible Hulk TV movie. I just finished listening to your podcast on the Hulk plot movie and enjoyed it a great deal. As someone who was around in these di- in those days, I believe I would have been in middle school at that time. I do remember that it seemed like Marvel was making a huge push to get their characters onto live action TV. In addition to the Hulk, Spider-Man and Captain America, I seem to recall there was also a Doctor Strange TV movie around that time. Mm-hmm. Spidey and the Hulk were the only ones that went to series and the Hulk was the only one that could really be considered a success. 
Yeah, I haven't rewatched the Spidey. I remember it existing, but like I've heard from people that it's not great. It's, I mean, yeah, it's really slow paced, and I don't love mm. it. But it's mm. it's an interesting. I think it is fine as a one off movie. I think it's uh, more frustrating that you then have a series with the same tone and style. How was J. Jonah Jameson in that? That's that's the real gauge as to whether it's going to be good Spider-Man, right? I feel like I remember liking J. Jonah Jameson, but I could just be making that up. Okay. As a comic book fan, I was puzzled and a little resentful that these shows never really leaned too far into their comic book origins. There were no supervillains to be found. Instead, the heroes mostly dealt with standard 70s villain types. I noticed that this was also true of the Linda Carter Wonder Woman series, which was on at about the same time. There seemed to be a reluctance to go full comic book in those days. I've always suspected that it might have been a reaction to the campiness of the earlier Batman series, which was loaded with costume villains. Maybe it was felt that having supervillains would make the show seem too silly. I could see that. I could also see it for budgetary reasons. Just having a guy in a flannel shirt with a bat is easier than the abomination. Yeah. Uh, I feel like there was the same kind of anti-comic booky reactionism in the early 2000s when we got a lot of... But what's funny is... Anytime any of those series did have a supervillain, you remember it. Like, I totally remember that anti-Hulk looking guy Mm -hmm. in that one episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, I think that's like the only time, really. Um, Looking at the Hulk show now, I can better appreciate what they did. Bill Bixby's warm and likable performance as David Banner makes what might have seemed like a far-fetched premise more acceptable to the audience. I wonder if the show would have lasted five seasons if a lesser actor had been the star. Probably not. Probably not. But you never know, because Ferrigno was pretty cool, too. Uh, you mentioned some curiosity about the character of Jack McGee, the investigation reporter who was always chasing the Hulk. I seem to recall there was one episode that focused on McGee. We learned that his Hulk obsession had made him a laughing stock, even among his fellow tabloid reporters. That's pretty low. He was still driven to carry on in his research, how, or in his search, however, which I suppose shows journalistic integrity of some sort. Of some sort. Yeah. Well, I doubt this oh. is one of the things about the, the format of those shows is you have your formula, but then you depart from your formula occasionally to do something to, to like, you know, let out a character more. Um, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that with The Fugitive, which I've watched all of now, that over the course of the four seasons, that show went, you know, went through some changes as far as how much different kinds of stories were told. Um, but, but yeah, fo- stories that focused on why. Lieutenant Gerard was so, you know, obsessed. obsessed. Those, those were good episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I doubt you would be interested in covering it on the podcast, and I don't really expect you to, but let me put in a recommendation for my favorite episode, episode The First. It's a two-part story from the fourth season which David discovers that there was an earlier Hulk 30 years earlier. It's a good story ending with a fight between the two Hulks. See? And it's also filled with the Easter egg references to the old Universal Frankenstein movies. Once again, two of my geek passions overlap. Thanks, and keep up the good work. So there's a podcaster that, um, I don't know, y'all probably haven't heard of him. He hasn't been doing this for very long. Uh, Michael Bailey. Um, He has this show called Views from the Long Box, and one of his first episodes was talking about the Incredible Hulk TV show. And I remember his discussions on the first, and just it seemed really, really intriguing. There's a lot of TV out there that we could cover. We've mostly been covering movies because it's kind of just easier to it is in chunks to do chunks like that. But uh, I would like to figure out a way to cover more TV. We just haven't really figured it out yet. Whether do it by season or just 
watch all 28 seasons and then talk about it in one hour or what 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 the idea is and we're doing an experiment we'll figure it out we're doing an experiment right now with the prisoner but i wouldn't want to do this with most other shows i kind of just want to do it with the prisoner because it's the prisoner um yeah and and our experiment leaves out sarah so right we don't want we don't to want do to do that, that for the rest of it but uh we'll figure something out the problem is, is like if we go, oh, let's just watch the entirety of this television show and talk about it. We have to actually watch the entirety of the television show. Right. So sometimes homework takes much longer than the actual discussion of the homework. <laughs> it's like a, it's like the bad comics. We're going to breeze through these, but we do have to actually read them first. Yes. And they take longer to read. They do. Because they're bad. Okay. That was it. My energy is done. We have successfully made it through two months. Eat some chicken and lay down. All right. Or something. So thank you all for writing. Please continue to do so. Podcast at makearsmarvel.com or just go to the website and click the contact form. Uh, follow us on Twitter. We'll be back with another one of these next month. And thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.